friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. and welcome back to the Becoming Buffy podcast. Today we have literally one of the best episodes ever. I'm not going to overhype mm. it, but it's amazing. Mm. <laughs> um, and we also have an extra guest with us. Her name is Rebecca. So say hi to Rebecca. How's it going? Excited to be here. Thanks for coming, Rebecca. Yeah. Thanks for asking me. I'm always down to talk about Buffy. Ah, which makes my heart just so happy. Yep. Didn't Sarah, didn't you show her the show? I didn't show it to her. I just told yeah. her about it. Um, I was like, Rebecca, you love film. You love TV. <laughs> Let me tell you about the greatest television show ever made. And she was like, okay. Yeah. And then I think I saw you when you were like halfway through it or something. And you were like, mm-hmm. oh, this is great. And I was like, just yeah. wait till the end. Yeah. yeah it Like, especially Ugh. I think from a film standpoint, obviously I'm not an expert, not anywhere close. But I think <laughs> that that's one area that the show actually even improves on is like – getting more Mm -hmm. intelligent about those things. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I'm just – oh, I'm so stoked for this episode. It is one of my favorites. I'm absolutely partial, but, like, it's so good. This is by far the most I've written down in my notes for an episode. So (laughs) that should get you guys excited. Not that our podcast will be amazing, (laughs) but that the TV show of this episode is really amazing. Yes, yes. If nothing else – this episode is just chaotic fun. Like there's so much going on and you're just kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm going with it. We had to pause it so many times yep. to write down stuff. Yep. <laughs> it was it was awful because we were watching it with our other sister and she kept being like, oh, I feel like you guys are preparing for a test. I was like, it feels like it. <laughs> you're like, we are. <laughs> yeah. I felt the same way. Yeah. So Rebecca, yeah. can you tell us a little bit of what you do and how that kind of helps you with a, a special insight into Buffy? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have always been interested in film. Um, I think I was like 10 when I first enlisted my siblings to act in a short film for me, <laughs> uh, grabbed the family video camera. And uh, yeah, ever since then, I don't know, I've just always loved watching movies and analyzing like, oh, how did they do that? So yeah, I'm primarily an editor. I have been able to work on uh, two feature films and then just numerous short films, mostly in the independent Christian film industry as an editor. And that's kind of my primary love. I love editing. Uh, but I also love being on set. So I've had the opportunity to do numerous just sort of random like onset roles. Um, so I, I know like just enough to be dangerous about a lot of departments <laughs> in film. Um, so yeah, but editing's the main focus for me. So yeah, perfect. I remember um, sitting around watching a Hallmark movie one year because there was one brief scene of you as an extra oh, yeah. in it. <laughs> Oh, really? Yes, the highlight of my career, truly. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It was really funny. We all had a blast being like, there she is. All right. Now back to the movie yeah. that we – wait, what's going on? <laughs> oh, you don't need to know they're all the same. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, you can't follow yeah. along with the Hallmark movie, man. There's an issue. You have trouble. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same script yeah. every single time. Yep. Yeah, I've had a couple opportunities to be in front of the camera, but that is definitely not an area that I am comfortable in. <laughs> so generally speaking, I'm behind the camera. Well, we're really excited that you're here and we're excited for your input and your behind the scenes stuff, well, specifically lighting, camera work, all that. Because, I mean, 
we're obviously amateurs. We have nothing <laughs> to do with the film industry. And so I feel like there's a perspective that you can give that we just can't. So yeah. I'm excited. Absolutely. Excited I'm excited. So let's talk about School Hard because I yes. love this episode so much. And always, I think always. this is going to be a long podcast, so we should probably get <laughs> <Yeah>. into it. <laughs> well, first off, I feel like we should preface if this is your first time, no. if you're popping in being yeah. like, Which oh, I mean. It's a random episode for your first time, but like, not really. <laughs> I welcome it. <laughs> I mean, not really. I mean, there's some new characters that we learned in this one. That's so, this true. would make sense for people to pop in on this one. So, this is your first time, just as a preface. Um, the first three fourths of the episode is our spoiler free section. So, we go through and analyze the whole episode from beginning mm-hmm. to end, talking about everything in season one and the last two episodes of season two. Leading up to this one, we won't spoil anything. Um, we're just going to go through it and just appreciate it for its own. And then we're going to transition into our Scooby's Secrets section. And then anything is fair game in the show. We talk about future character development, anything that spoils anything. Yeah. So stick around for that if you like Buffy. Yeah. And fun fact for me personally, whenever someone's struggling to get through Buffy, like they're starting at the beginning of season one, I always tell them to watch school hard. And the reason why is it's so early on in the show and so early on in the second season that it doesn't um, spoil a lot. It doesn't. And the, the thing is, is that the end of season one, you start to really understand where Buffy is and she becomes yeah. more of a multidimensional character. Yeah. But season two is where the villains start to become more of a multidimensional characters mm-hmm. and where the other stories revolving around Buffy and the Scooby gang become just as interesting as the Scooby gang themselves. You mean the master Which wasn't is, a multidimensional character? Yeah. <laughs> the annoying one? <laughs> They're my the favorites, one, personally. Right? Oh. <laughs> So I feel like School Heart is when it's like, ooh, this is an interesting villain. Mm-hmm. Ooh, like yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on. And so it's an excellent, excellent episode yeah. to hook people in. And I will say know. like – and I'll get into this later on in the episode. Like this was the first episode when I watched Buffy where I actually genuinely feared the villain. Like the master was scary, yeah. but I kind of was like, Meh, like, you know, he didn't really show a lot. But like, you know, this new villain, I was actually like, he could genuinely like just kill someone. Like one mm-hmm. of the main cast, and I would yeah. be like, yeah, I could see it happening. Yeah. So I feel like School Hard is when it just really starts to kind of pick up. And yeah. honestly, from here on, the show just becomes better and better. And obviously, there's a few like bad eggs. <laughs> or the okay. next episode. <laughs> yeah. I like bad eggs. I don't know why you give it so much crap. Oh. It's not that bad. There there's, definitely are worse episodes. Yeah, there's definitely worse episodes. And the thing is, when we talk about Buffy, even like the worst episodes are still better than like so many shows. But you know, they're just not as good as like episodes of school hard but we'll get we'll get to those episodes when we when we get there yes we will grin and bear it as we talk about them and we'll probably have two pages of notes (laughs) (laughs) a page and a half stretch it out (laughs) yeah exactly okay so school hard school hard is season two episode three and okay this blew my mind when i found this out you guys maybe already know this but i'm so excited so what Christmas movie do we love to watch every year that is our family Die favorite? Hard. Die Hard. This episode is based off of Die Hard. Interesting. Based off the title, I can kind of hear it. <laughs> I mean, loosely based. So School Hard, Die Hard, it was written off. But then you have that moment where Buffy's climbing through the ductwork at the top oh, of the ceiling. Oh, that's true. You have it where Buffy is basically having to take down all the vampires one by one throughout the school. Oh. 
Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That honestly makes sense why I like this episode so much because I love Die Hard. Oh, Right. I exactly. Yeah. I feel so stupid. I didn't know that until like a couple weeks ago and I was like, why? I don't feel that stupid. I don't think I would have put but that together. But also like Angel impersonating as like a bad guy, whereas oh, Hans impersonating as a good that's guy. True, that's true. That's really interesting. Yep. I've actually never seen Die Hard, so <gasps> oh. most of these references are going to go over my head. <laughs> oh, <so> no. <laughs> that's it. You're off the podcast. Oh, uh, that's fair. That's fair. All right. It's been fun, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it's not like, you know, there's no, I don't think any direct quotes or anything, no. but there's fun little moments in there where it feels very much like there's Buffy a few comments. Is, well, there's actually yeah, like, Bruce there's a few like moments in the episode where I kind of get like other movie vibes. I'll explain it Mm -hmm. when the scenes come up. Yeah. Anyway, now that we have that, it was written by Joss Whedon and David Greenwald. You can tell. Yep. Yes, of course. And David Greenwald is a producer on the show at this point. And it aired September 29th, 1997, and it was directed by John T. Kretschmeier. So we open up in the principal's office, and Principal Snyder looks like he is absolutely loving this entire interaction. Oh, yeah. The funny thing to me is the fact that, like, you have one girl who clearly is, like, causing trouble in the school, like, and is enjoying it and not caring. And then you have Buffy who hasn't actually done anything in the school. Like, yeah, she burned down her last gym. But, like, she hasn't done anything to that school. So the fact that he's so on her, I'm like, dude, she hasn't done anything to your school. From what he's seen is that she's in the middle of a ton of fights, but she's breaking them up. That's the difference. Whereas, like, they talk about how Sheila stabbed a teacher or something. I was yeah. like, oh, wow. They're like, definitely yeah. not in the same With level. With a trowel. <laughs> yeah. I cannot. I was like, dude, I was like, I understand. Like, she, she's definitely someone you'd probably keep your eye on because it's like, eh, I'd rather not pay for an entirely new gym. But, like, why on earth is she at the same <laughs> level with someone who's literally stabbing your teachers? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe, you know, rank them a little differently. <laughs> Yeah, well, Principal Snyder clearly has it out for Buffy, and I think it's just because he hates children. I think that's just what it is. Oh, 100%. So I wanted to talk real fast about Armin Shimmerman, and he's the guy who plays Principal Snyder. Fun fact, he was in Star Trek. He played a character called Cork. I haven't seen Star Trek, so I, I know either. everyone's going to shun me. new ones. But he was one of the most popular characters, and was a main character on that show for a long time. Was in a couple of seasons and renditions. Um, he's also gone on to voice a ton of video game characters, um, several DC characters and villains. I think he voiced Green Goblin. Oh no way! Wow. In a Marvel. Yeah, I was like, that's well, Marvel. In a Marvel game. That's not easy. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. And he's a really, really excellent actor, really renowned. And I think it's awesome that he was on Buffy. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Pretty iconic role on Buffy, too. Yeah, right? Yeah. So it's been a little while since I've watched Buffy all the way through. I obviously like rewatched this episode for this podcast. But is this his first episode in this season? Like, is this his introduction to the show or has he been in it already he comes in halfway through the first season isn't it the public show yeah i think it is him okay cool yeah because principal flutie was here and then principal flutie died in the pack and then principal snyder first shows up in the puppet show okay gotcha Mm -hmm. okay cool i was just wondering because his introduction in this episode in particular where they've got like the dramatic lighting and his shadow on the wall it's such an ominous and like this whole scene it's such an ominous introduction to him yeah so i wasn't sure if that was like his introduction to the show or just this episode no they just make him all dramatic yeah obviously he's like a looming figure in this episode (laughs) where he's like 
putting all this pressure on Buffy. So oh, yeah. makes yeah. sense. Right. Well, and also he is in a lot of this episode. And before mm-hmm. this season, he wasn't in a lot of episodes. He's in like the first episode of season two, and then he's not in the next one, but then he's in this one. So like he's becoming more and more of a regular I honestly, I think that I think that he's in more episodes than he is because, like, he's just so iconic whenever he's in there. Like, he really True. just steals the yeah. show for me. I don't know why. Like, he's such an awful character, but, like, I just love him to death because <laughs> he just comes on screen and he's just, like, always angry and just, like, always wants, like, is out for vengeance for someone. And I'm just like, dude, like, maybe just go to therapy before you go to your job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say he's necessarily angry. He's more gleeful than anything, but he's like maliciously gleeful. Yeah, that's fair. It's kind of psychotic. Yeah, he is. It's just really funny how much he hates kids. And Giles is all like, um, maybe you're in the wrong profession. <laughs> Seriously. So the contrast between Buffy and Sheila I thought was interesting because Sheila just like couldn't care less about what Principal Snyder saying, and mm. Bobby was over there looking absolutely terrified that he's going to kick her out of school. Yeah. So then we find out that that Thursday is parent-teacher conference night or meeting night. And, okay, he gives them, like, the troublemakers the responsibility of planning and setting mm. this up, which is how you know he's malicious because he's setting them up for failure. Yeah, but it's also, like, how is that legal? Like, I'm almost positive that you cannot <laughs> force kids to sign up for something when they technically haven't done anything wrong. Like, the other girl stabbed someone. So, like, he could technically give her, like, detention (laughs) or something. But Buffy technically hasn't gotten in trouble that we know of that would cause her to be in detention right now. And so it's like, how does he have justification for just giving them this huge job? It's not illegal, I'd say. Like, I think... Well, and hasn't she been, like, skipping classes also? Maybe. That's That's true. true. Yeah. I think they mentioned that later. And the old science building just got burned out in the last episode. So I'm fairly certain that's why she's in the teacher's or the principal's office Mm. um, because they're like, hey, it burned down. Hmm, who has a history of burning down school buildings? (laughs) It definitely couldn't be one of the other kids who are, you know, like committing murder or, you know, are witches or things like that. He's like, it has to be Buffy. But I mean, he's not wrong. So (laughs) that's true. So. Yeah, Snyder is just way too excited, and I feel really bad for Buffy because she just does not want to be expelled. And we find out later on in the episode when she's talking with her mom just how badly she doesn't want her mom to have to relocate for her. Yeah. So I don't. I think in this moment, Buffy's not just thinking about herself, but she's also thinking about her mom too. Mm-hmm. Well, I also mm-hmm. think it's like she has a life here now. Like if she ended up having to move, like she wouldn't be able to be around Xander and Willow yeah. and Angel. And I mean, I think Giles would – probably follow her because he is her watcher but yeah it's still like right? it's still the atmosphere of like you know she's building a life here that i think she genuinely enjoys and so it's like if she'd have to leave school like she would be leaving that life behind i think it makes sense for a slayer to live on top of a hell mouth because like that's where everything is happening yeah, yeah. Um, and then they walk outside and then Buffy's talking about like, oh, we can meet up, you know, this time and then work on like banners or whatever. And then she was like, yeah, whatever. Just walks away. Meat pie. I was yeah. like, why is that an affectionate nickname? <laughs> no. Meat pie. Yuck. <laughs> That's how I'm going to refer to my friends from now on. Hey, meat pies. And Xander and Willow come up and Willow's like, she started smoking in fifth grade. <laughs> I watched out for her once and Xander's like, you're bad. And I think it's interesting to note what Buffy says right before that. She says, my mom sees me as a Sheila. That sucks. Yeah, I thought that that line was really telling simply because 
we haven't seen a whole lot of um, Mrs. Summers or Joyce, which, okay, this is the first episode that we hear Joyce's name. Oh, really? Really? Yes. We've been calling her Joyce this entire time, and it hadn't been revealed until this episode when she introduces herself to the Well, she is now Joyce for all the listeners. Well, there's so many things that we don't spoil, so I think it's okay if we, you know, spoil the fact that Buffy's mom's name is Joyce. We called Miss Calendar Jenny for, like, the entire first season, so it's okay. (laughs) Because she's not a Miss Calendar. I'm not going to sit there and be like, Miss Calendar, like, She's Jenny. It's just a mouthful. <laughs> or yeah. Mrs. Summers. Yeah. No. no she's Joyce. She's Joyce. Yeah. Yep. No, she um she actually said the actress, Christine Sutherland, said that she kept checking her script, being like, okay, what's my character's name? What's my character's oh. name? Because for the longest time she was just Buffy's mom. Oh, Got it. that's crazy. Anyway, so I thought that was really sad that Buffy was like, My mom sees me as a Sheila, and I think it's also really telling for I mean, not only do we kind of see how Buffy sees herself through her mom's eyes, but this episode is so good when it comes to bringing and incorporating her mom into her slaying life and her school life without like spilling any secrets on Buffy's end. Yeah. Yeah. So then – Xander jinx the whole thing like, oh my what's goodness. the worst that can happen? Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> I cannot. And the fact that both like Buffy and Willow were like, it's ruined now. Like there's no going back. And he's just like, oh, um, I'm sorry. Um, and he's like trying to take it back. I think it's really brilliant that it, it cuts straight from him jinxing it into like Spike running over the yeah. sign. Oh my gosh. So I iconic. Love this entrance. Everything about it is amazing. The fact that he runs over the sign. There's metal the music. The fact that there's like the music playing, the fact that he's smoking a cigarette. I'm like, okay, obviously they want us to have an opinion about this character. All leather. I love he it. He has his vamp face on. Yeah, I'm obsessed. Like it's just so extra for no reason. Just just because they wanted it to be. And I just, I'm obsessed with it. I love that he says home sweet home. Mm-hmm. And we find out like a scene or two later that he's never been here before. But he's just like, this is my home now. Yep. He's yeah. just like such a big personality where he's like, it's my town now. Like it's my home. Yep. Confidence. And before we move on uh, too far from the scene with the kids, I did have something that I wanted to point out. Um, first of all, I noticed in this episode as I was rewatching, there's a lot of really long just like tracking shots Mm. with people, which is Mm. like really cool and just requires like more thought put into it, Mm -hmm. more planning uh, instead of just kind of like boring, you know, close up shots and everything. But something else that they particularly do in this scene is when the kids are standing the Scooby gang kids. Mm-hmm. I sound like I'm 45 years old. <laughs> I know what um, you meant. <laughs> when, when they're uh, standing sort of in their semi-circle, it's really cool because the camera sort of is almost as if it's the fourth person mm-hmm. in the circle. Mm-hmm. And they do that a lot in this show where you, you as the audience kind of complete the circle and it makes mm-hmm. you, like particularly scenes in the library, they shoot them that way a lot of times you'll see. And it's just really cool because it makes you feel like you're part of the gang, like mm-hmm. you're in on their conversation cool. and everything. So that was something I wanted to point out. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm going to look for that now. And it makes sense. The way that the show is shot, you literally feel like you know these characters so yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, And it's like by the time yeah. the show ends, you're just like, oh, my friends. You're really protective over every character <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah, for sure. So Spike, ah, the villain we've been missing. The villain we didn't know we needed. Yeah. Yeah. The annoying one just wasn't cutting it. No. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so glad they decided to ditch that storyline because I'm pretty sure, weren't they planning on like continuing that storyline? So, I mean, this is kind of skipping ahead, but the anointed one or Colin, 
is his name. I always forget <laughs> his name. Colin is such like a douchey name. <laughs> I know. I think of the guy from Pride and Prejudice. Colin like, Firth? Yeah. No, no, I think of um, <laughs> uh, the cousin, cousin Colin. Mr. Colin? Yeah, Mr. Colin. Oh. Mr. Colin. I was like, that makes more Mr. sense. Colin. See, yeah. my mind went the to worst. Edward Cullen because vampire. Uh, oh. <laughs> so There's also a That's zombie funny. version of Pride and Prejudice, so that's what yes. my Go check that doing. one out. <laughs> that is oh my honestly one of my favorite versions. Yeah, oh, really? That's so yeah. good. That's no, I'm a sucker for the five-hour long story one. Fair. We're getting off topic. <laughs> so Spike. Oh, yeah, and Colin. That's right, the anointed one. So the anointed one was supposed to be the main villain for season two, yeah. but they took a break after season one, got to season two, and realized Colin – was growing yeah, and vampires aren't supposed to grow well yeah. and he's boring like i'm not even gonna lie like that kid yeah. is so boring like how and am i supposed like, to okay. fear a child who like doesn't even really the, walk the first scene inside the warehouse <laughs> all the vampires are acting as if he's a god and i'm sitting here being like i'm not yeah. buying it i'm sorry yeah. i'm sitting here and i'm like i don't care well what i like about like the dynamic that they create is the fact that like the master was very traditional you know, he didn't rise until he was supposed to mm-hmm. because of prophecy. He didn't attack until he was supposed to because of prophecy. Like, he did everything by the book because he was traditional. And I love the fact that they try, like, they change it up with, like, a younger, you know, quote unquote younger because they're all, like, over 200 years old. But, like, <laughs> they come in with this younger guy who's just very, like, the opposite of traditional. And they slam that in your face in every way they can in this episode of being like, Spike is not traditional. Spike is not by the book. He, he does, does things because he wants to. He does things when he wants to and because he wants to. And so I love the Which fact makes that they, him scary because yes. he's unpredictable. Yes, 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 exactly. And I think that that's why he's such a good villain for Buffy because it it teaches Buffy to think on her feet more because she has to anticipate what he's going to do. Yeah. I wanted to note, too, that when he comes in and smashes the sign, there's that guitar riff that comes in that sounds a lot like the guitar riff from the Buffy theme song. Mm -hmm. And we had talked about in the first episode of our podcast about how the guitar riff in the theme song is meant to symbolize this whole, hey, we're not a traditional horror show. Mm -hmm. We are a little different. We're a little edgier. And so I feel like there's a very obvious just Correlation. similarity to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're trying to show, hey, Spike's here to do things different and mess yep. things up. So I wanted to talk a little bit real fast about James Marsters, Spike, and his audition process. So James, he was sent the script. They said, hey, they're looking for a villain for season two. And he was like, Bobby the Vampire Slayer. That movie was awful. Yeah. Like, why are they making a Which, show? Fair. And his agent was like, hey, look. So they're airing it tonight at like 8 p.m. or whatever. There's an episode. You should go and look at it. And he said the episode he saw was the pack of all I episodes. Cannot. Could you imagine and just like watching the pack? loved and like, it. Yeah. I want to be on that show. That, Leah, right? Leah gives it too much crap. That episode's not bad. I give it a, I give it a lot of crap because it's a little weird saying like, you know, full grown – well, not full grown, but like teenagers, like acting like animals. However, I do like the metaphor behind it mm-hmm. and the idea of it. So I think it's a well-done episode. I just personally – it makes me a little uncomfortable seeing yeah, like fair. teenagers act like animals. Yeah. Well, the fact that they like eat the principal yeah. is a little <laughs> <And> a <pig>. jarring. <laughs> yep. But he loved it. He saw the metaphors that were underneath all the kind of campiness and was like, I want to be on that show. Like, yeah. get me on the show. So he auditioned and he said that he was like, 
like in there quoting Shakespeare and all this other stuff and was basically like, yeah, suck it, all you other spikes, this is mine. Like, I, <sighs> I got this. And um, him and uh, Juliet Lando, who plays Drusilla, just like clicked immediately. The chemistry is electric between them. Oh, yes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And he says that um, he auditioned in the black shirt that he's actually wearing mm. in this episode yeah, and that. that he continues to wear because they liked the way it fit so well <sighs> that they were like, this is the shirt. This is the shirt that you're wearing from now on. Yeah. He <laughs> wears it for a while. Didn't he audition with like a Texas accent too? Or am I making that up? I think you're making that up. Okay. I don't think he auditioned with the Texas <laughs> Honestly, I don't. I thought for sure he did, but I might be confusing with a different show or a different movie. You can count this he out did. for sure. But I thought for sure he did auditioned with the Texas accent. No. Um. So he when he first started the show, his like um British accent was like atrocious. And so Anthony Stewart had kind of took him under you're his right. wing. You're right. Tabby's right. So cut me out. Tabby's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, actually, okay. So what happened is him being British was like not even a thing at that point. Joss wanted him to be Creole and he's supposed to have hmm. a Bayou accent. So uh, a little more Southern. I think that's where you're getting the, like the Texas okay. accent from. Okay. And then almost last minute, Joss was like, no, I want you to have a British accent. Oh, I'd be so stressed. It fits my yeah. so much to it. So much better. If it's the character so much better, the way I view like British accents is either like the Giles, so like the posh, posh and proper, or like the Spike, where it's very like vulgar and rugged, mm -hmm. and like and they're both awesome and amazing. But I just like love the fact that they just it fits him well. Mm -hmm. Well, and because it was so last minute, he was like, "Crap, okay, who do I know that's British?" And then Anthony Stewart Head was right there, and he was like, "All right, I'm gonna try and mimic my British accent after him." And so, fun fact, he said. Anthony Stewart Head's accent as Giles is just as made up as James Marster's accent as Spike. The way mm. that Anthony Stewart Head talks normally is kind of more like how Spike talks. Yeah, Isn't that funny. weird? That's yeah, I've heard him in interviews and he's a lot more like loose, whereas they wanted uh -huh. Giles to be a lot more like um, traditional stuffy British. So he had to mm -hmm. change it a ton. Mm. Yeah. So weird thinking about that. I'm like, what in the world? So his accent is a little hit or miss in this episode. Mm -hmm. Still pretty good. But I was like, all right, I'll give him grace because it was literally thrust upon him last moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, then we go to the warehouse and the anointed one is sitting because he's too tall. If he stands up, he doesn't look like a kid. <laughs> that makes sense. Yep. That's funny. Yeah, in every episode he's sitting. The yeah. only episode where he's standing was in the first episode of season two, and it's like this high shot that points down, mm. seeing the entire room because you can't tell Smart. exactly how tall he is. Yeah, that's nice. true because he's sitting down a ton, and especially in this episode, I noticed that he didn't stand up once. Yeah, yeah, which lends him to be a very boring villain. Oh my word! Yes, <laughs> I honestly I love this scene though because like Spike comes in the room and like he's such a dominant personality and i love that because like he comes in and he just kind of like exudes confidence like he's just very much like i'm mm -hmm. here accept that and we're gonna move on and just even the fact that like at one point a vampire tries to fight him and like spike just hits him like it's nothing which i like like they're showing in little ways that like spike is not a normal vampire like he's mm -hmm. strong he's intelligent and he's bold and I love that because they're showing it like in little doses and they kind of just build it throughout the episode. Yeah. And so the anointed one is basically just like recruiting vampires to go kill Buffy at this point. He's just desperate. And um, this vampire that's trying to like say, hey, the night of St. Vigius is this Saturday. Let's go kill the Slayer. The vampire's name is Big Ugly. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> awful. Could you imagine? No. It what sounds. It honestly world? sounds like a rapper's name. Big Ugly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The actor got the role and is like, this is the break in my career that I needed. Yeah. And then got yeah. the script and is like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> we can put that on a resume. Yeah, I know. I was Big Ugly on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I would just go with, I was like the right-hand man to the villain. I'd just be like, I was a vampire. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple. I like, I love how they gave Spike the dialogue that says, who do we kill for fun around here? Mm-hmm. And then the annoying one, which I'm only going to refer to him as that, um, <laughs> says like, who are you? And he's like, Spike. Like, <laughs> like you should know this. And then he yeah. talks about how he um, has bagged two slayers in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is already terrifying. That's like, wow, like he's he's killed two of them. That's yeah. crazy. He comes out and he has like this persona of like, top dog, you know, I'm doing this. And then like you hear like Drusilla come out. No, you you hear lullaby music. Yeah. And you're like, mm-hmm. what is going on? And then like Drusilla comes out and he immediately like shifts his face. I, I noted that he turns around mm-hmm. and he, he changes his vampire face to his human face, which I think symbolizes like um, vulnerability. Yeah, softer side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like he switches his face, switches his mindset when she walks in the room. He's a lot more like sweet soft yes yeah yeah there's um this is the first time we've seen a vampire transition his face in this season and the last time that we saw it was with darla in the first episode of season one so it's been quite a while and i would imagine that was probably expensive darla's transition (laughs) wasn't too bad okay i was like this one was not bad no 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 darla's was like a foot lower when she transitioned i was like oh yeah (laughs) you're right (laughs) yeah yeah, the budget's gone up. Yay. It has. You can tell. The fact that he transitions a few times in the mm-hmm. episode shows that, one, they're more confident about their editing skills, but mm-hmm. also, to just the fact of, like, I think that they wanted to show the dimension in his character because a lot of the other vampires are, like, fully a vampire. Mm-hmm. And so they just stay in vamp face. They have no worldly attachments. They just kind of want mm-hmm. that. That's really whereas, interesting, like, Leah. Whereas, like, Spike is kind of more... He kind of likes the world in a way. Like, you can tell he likes the thrill mm-hmm. of things. He likes the fun of things. But he also is in love with Drusilla. That's true. Like, the main villains, usually you'll see them transition a little bit more. I think the master never transitioned because he's just older. Yeah. I, think I could not was, picture his face. I think he was, like, molding into his vampire face because he's so old. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> he couldn't transition as much. But the henchmen or, like, the side vampires, I think that now that I'm thinking about it, most of the show, I don't think any of them really transition at all no the only one you see that's like a villain that transitions is darla and but it's with mm-hmm. angel because like, yeah she exactly. has like that worldly oh. attachment yeah that's that's really good insight yeah yeah no that's a good point leah especially because spikes talks about you know being at woodstock he talks about how he fed on a flower person and was like Hi, essentially. And just like all this stuff, he has the same enthusiasm as he talks about that as he is when he's punching someone. So you can tell this is a guy that just kind of lives fully with whatever he's doing. Yeah. So Juliet Lando walks in and oh my goodness, like Victorian Gothic vibes coming off of her. And I'm not going to be subtle. I adore her character. I think she's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I love her as a villain. She's yeah. she's amazing. Well, and it's crazy mm-hmm. to think that like – because, I mean, I've been, you know, gushing about Spike's character and how amazing he is. But it's insane that someone can come on stage and equally match his character but in a completely different, different way. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Spike is in your face, bold, scary, going to do whatever, you know, he wants. But Drusilla is like creepy. And like mm-hmm. crazy, yeah, crazy gets under your skin. And so like the fact that both of them together work in this like 
creepy duo is like insane. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're both very unpredictable. Like you were saying earlier about mm-hmm. Spike, he could just kill anyone. But like, yeah, even Drusilla's just like, you have no idea what she's going to say next. Yeah. So they work together very well. The fact that she's yeah. wearing a nightgown and I'm still terrified of her. <laughs> she's wearing a child's yeah. dress and I'm like, yeah, you're scary. <laughs> yep. And we talk a lot about James Marster's accent, but her Cockney accent is spot mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, Juliet Lando is actually a trained ballerina, which you can tell in you her movements, movements and also just like in the way that she's um, like the bone structure and stuff that she has. Like she just she is very muscle. graceful and very aware of her movements in her body. She comes from a line of actors and actresses. Her father is Martin Lando. He was in Hitchcock's North by Northwest. Oh, um, Yeah. And he was also in the Mission Impossible TV series, as was her mom. There was a TV um, series? Mm-hmm. I did yeah. not know that. <laughs> not know that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but her dad like worked across Cary Grant, um, wow. wor- worked with Cary Grant. Yeah. And then her mother um, was on the Dick Van Dyke show. No was way. really close Dang. friends with Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, pretty cool. But you could tell, okay, she did not get this part because of her famous parents. Like no. this girl, the part of Drusilla, I would imagine, would be incredibly hard to nail down on a piece of paper. It's just amazing to me that she's able to act in such a way that makes Drusilla layered and not just absolutely crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. So um, Juliet Lando actually directed a mini documentary called Take Flight that was essentially about Gary Oldman's creative process. Isn't that random? (laughs) That is random. Very. (laughs) Super weird. And she was also – okay, I thought this was very appropriate. She was also in a Tim Burton movie. Oh, okay, no, yeah. I was literally about to say, I was like, she gives me like Tim Burton, like yep. Corpse Bride yep. type Oh, vibes. Corpse Bride, yeah. Or like mm-hmm. Coraline, like, I mean, wait, what movie is there? Um, it was called Ed Wood. It's know. an older movie of his. Yeah, it's not newer, but yeah. That makes sense. She's pretty talented. So Drusilla says, do you like daisies? I plant them, but they always die. Everything I put in the ground dies. And then she like kind of starts to say, ooh, the slayer, like she's as if she has the gift of sight and then says it's dark where the slayer is. I can't see her. And I always was like, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, why can't she see Buffy? So the next scene is Buffy standing in front of a mirror. What can't vampires see? Oh, oh their reflection. Honestly, Isn't that interesting? And also at this point in the episode, Buffy is really trying to suppress the Slayer part of her life. So yeah. I, that's kind of where my mind went. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I like that he's like, so what about this Slayer? Is she tough? And then Buffy's like, ow, she's trying to brush her hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's something you'll notice in like shows that are written well is they'll have good transitions between scenes and the show is Mm. no exception to that. Like a lot of indie movies uh, will transition by someone closing a door or like leaving the room. That's like a very cliched Mm. like way to end a Mm. scene. But if you have something like that where it's so intentionally thought out like, oh, this is clever. It's like, you know, there was more thought put into the writing, which is always fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Rebecca, I'm curious about your opinions on this scene because Mm -hmm. we see Buffy like combing her hair and then Joyce comes in. And so for like a majority of the scene, we Mm -hmm. only see Joyce through the mirror as she's talking to Buffy and then they move over to the bed. Like I'm curious why it was Mm -hmm. shot like that. Yeah. Just like why uh, it was why you could see them both in the same shot or like 
Yeah. Or just like, I guess it would be kind of like we're watching Joyce through Buffy's perspective or like, sure. I don't know. It just seems like a very intentional camera angle. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I always see stuff like that on a very practical level where it's, you <laughs> don't have to cut back and forth between two characters. True. Um, so you're getting to see both of the actors the whole time. So, so every like reaction that everyone has, you're getting to see. Mm. Um, also just from a blocking standpoint, I actually bought, uh, you can buy script books that have the original shooting script in it. And so oh, I, wow. I bought that for this episode and was reading That's it. Awesome. Oh, wow. uh, originally, this scene was just like Buffy was supposed to be standing at the mirror the whole time. Uh, but the way that they did it, there's obviously some more movement, um, which because if you just have two characters like standing and talking for a whole scene, it gets pretty boring. So uh, to, to answer your question, the reason I think that they showed them in the mirror is it is just a little more visually interesting uh, and mm. you don't have to cut back and forth between the two. Um, okay. I also thought it was really interesting from a lighting perspective in the scene. Uh, you have Buffy's mom is like much darker than Buffy is for like the first mm. part of the scene. And I think it's mm-hmm. because Buffy's trying to make a good impression and like she's got all this pressure on her and a lot of the pressure Mm. is coming from her mom so I think they're like trying to symbolize that a little bit Mm. but then the moment that Joyce like moves to go sit on the bed next to Buffy is when she kind of has a moment of like softening a little bit Mm. um and she's still like kind of showing tough love like she's saying you know I don't want to be disappointed in you again which is Mm -hmm. you know still a little harsh but the thumbs um, down of the world (laughs) yeah and uh but when she goes and like sits on the bed then Joyce is brighter than Buffy is because Buffy's like feeling this overwhelming pressure so I think they Mm. they do a lot with the lighting to sort of like symbolize where the characters are and everything which is kind of interesting Mm-hmm. That's yeah. really fascinating. I hadn't picked up on that at all. And I again, like the show seriously is so intentional with every aspect yeah, of yeah, it. And it it's is. so rewarding to watch because you pick up on little nuances every time you do a rewatch. Yeah. It's just really rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Joyce obviously is not perfect. And I think that there's like a few things in the scene where she kind of handles it like a typical parent to like a teenager and mm-hmm. just being like, oh, you'll understand when you're older, which is like <laughs> yeah. a little patronizing, but like, you know, understandable <laughs> as, a, as a parent. But I also just love the fact that like when you really put it in like retrospect of like Buffy's burned down a house, like not a house, a school building and like has gotten into a lot of trouble and like they had to move because of her. Like it makes a little bit more sense than the fact that like Joyce is actually very kind and gentle to her, mm-hmm. considering not knowing the yeah. reasons for what is going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, concluding this scene, like, it, I don't know. I just feel so bad for Buffy because she says, I have a lot of pressure on me right now. And yeah. Joyce says, wait until you get a job. And then she walks out of the room and then Buffy just kind of says, I have a job. Yeah. Poor girl. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting to have her go stand by another mirror, almost like she mm. has her Slayer mirror and her Buffy mirror. Mm. Like she's looking mm. at herself as Buffy and then she goes to the next one. And it's like, no, this yeah. is my job as a Slayer. I just intentional. I also yeah. like, I don't know if this is me reading into it. <laughs> Might be. But <laughs> join the, the club. First, <laughs> in the first season, we noticed, we talked about how she had a chest of like vampire steaks and all this and it was hidden yeah. in her closet. Mm-hmm. But then now it's more accessible. It's more 
you know, ready. It's like right next to her dresser. And so to me, I mm. kind of like took that as like it's becoming more and more a part of her life. Yeah. More she's not trying to hide it as much. Exactly. It's not even so much just hiding it. It's just more of like it's taking up more space, more time, more of her mm. life. Yeah, mm. she's gone from accepting it to now it's like a part of who she is or her at least a part of her everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. Hence the theme of season one is acceptance and then the theme mm-hmm. of this season is becoming so back at school, poor Buffy is doing all the work. And then Sweet Willow is right there, like, helping her. What it's a good so friend. Cute. And Xander, too. Xander comes in as well. Like, very sweet. They're just, like, helping her, like, not even questioning things. Just very kind. Yeah. Sheila's nowhere to be found. And they're talking about, like, Will's like, hey, you should come to the bronze with us. And Buffy's like, oh, I have a lot to do. And she's like, um, Angel might be, you know, talking to a bunch of other girls. And immediately she's like, you're right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I can study at the bronze. <laughs> right. Exactly. Says no one ever. Literally, yeah. I'm going to go study at a club for sure. That would not. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that would not happen. Yeah. Not conducive for a learning environment at all. So I love Giles and Jenny coming in because, like, they're an actual couple now. I know. Well, they're having, like, an argument. They're like, um, no, the Mesopotamian scrolls yeah. said that um, the Night of St. Vigius is on Thursday. No, but you need to read a book that's, like, earlier than 1066 BC or something like that. But she's like, the way that I've translated it, it's actually Saturday. And so all that boils down to Giles saying the Night of St. Vigius is incredibly important and what are you doing with like the student teacher night thing buffy like get Mm -hmm. your act together being a slayer is incredibly important which love giles and he's totally not trying to be unkind here um but this is another example of him kind of not being always aware of what's going on around him yeah and i think seeing how pressured and stressed Buffy is. I also think it's a tiny bit hypocritical because like (laughs) we've seen in the first season in the pup show, like he was very much like, oh my gosh, I have to get everything in order, blah, blah, blah. And so Buffy took on a lot of the responsibility Mm. and was like, okay, you handle your school stuff. This is obviously important to you. I'll handle all of the Slayer stuff. And And I think we've seen that in this season as well when he had a date with Jenny and he was like, oh, well, like, you know, I want to go to the football game because Jenny was there. And then Buffy was like, okay, fine, we'll meet you there. And so, like, mm-hmm. when Giles's life interferes with slaying, Buffy finds a way to incorporate it in. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, when Buffy's life interferes with slaying, he's just like, no, you have to yeah. cut it out. Mm-hmm. Because he's very black and white. And I think that when it comes to himself, he might be a little less aware. Yeah, that's a really good point, Leah. Because you're seeing, I feel like, more and more him putting – pressure on Buffy as in like, what are you doing? You're a slayer. Okay, go do your stuff. But Mm. then him as a watcher is like, all right, well, I can go hang out with Jenny. I can go do all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think what he says when um, Snyder like walks in on him, he says, slay, slaves. You're all slaves to the TV. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Then Willow and Xander are like, well, we'll help you, Buffy. And Giles like rolls his eyes and is like, yes, I'm sure your help will be greatly appreciated. (laughs) I also wanted to point out that Willow is wearing a Scooby-Doo shirt in this scene. I just thought it was kind of funny. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I didn't even notice that. She's stealing my job of noticing wardrobe. I know, you're slacking. I'm sorry, man. Man, Rebecca, move on in. <laughs> I know I'm booted out. I didn't notice. Sorry, I'll, st- oh. I'll stick to my department from here on. No. Out. Okay, okay. <laughs> so Principal Snyder is like 
coming in. He's like, you shouldn't be helping to Willow and Xander. And Willow's like, um, we're not helping. We're hindering. And <laughs> Which is As so if that would evil. be better. I know. Yeah, right? Well, to Principal Snyder, probably. Yeah. It's also just so evil of the fact that, like, if the other girl is somehow not participating, it looks bad has on Buffy. Be, well, it has to be all on Buffy, you know? Yeah. Like, why – like, I understand, like, sometimes – making two people work together can kind of help them be less selfish and things like that. But if one person was not carrying their weight, like you should not be punishing the other. That's why I think in high school, like I had a lot of issues and I think a lot of people did with like group projects because there would always be someone who just was not doing the same. Sometimes I'm pretty sure it was probably me who just like was not doing the (laughs) same amount of work as some of the other people who are working harder and everyone got the same grade. It's like, how's that fair? Yeah. 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 I think we can all agree that what Snyder's doing is incredibly just not fair all around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When when Sheila comes in looking like she is still drunk from the night before, yeah. um, <laughs> it just reminds me of how, like, Jenny walked in and, like, I robot you, Jane. Yeah. We're probably going to talk about that so much because it's just, like, the two different people – from like a rough night the night before. There's the Sheila's and then there's the Jenny's. Yep. I don't know, man. Jenny looked like she just had her coffee. It was like steamrolling she looked, in. No, she, she had her sunglasses on. She looked like she woke up late and she like was like struggling to get her morning together <laughs> and was just like, all right, kids, let's just get this over with. That's funny. I, to me, it just looked like she was like, all right, let's go. Got too much caffeine in my system. Like <laughs> <laughs> Sheila looks like she wants to just go home and sleep for 12 hours. Yeah. She looks like she's not all there. And I thought it was really admirable that Buffy kind of sticks up for her. And I think Buffy knows what it's like to be misunderstood. So I think she's trying really hard to give Sheila the benefit of the doubt and every chance to succeed. And also like for better or for worse, I think Buffy sees a lot of herself in Sheila, kind of how she was saying Mm -hmm. earlier, you were pointing out that like, that's how her mom sees her. I think Buffy also sees herself in Sheila because I think Mm -hmm. Buffy like doesn't always see herself super accurately and she kind of sees herself the way that other people see her which is not always mm-hmm. like the healthiest way. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's yeah. why she sympathizes with Sheila so much. Yeah. There's actually a theory out there that the characters in Buffy are supposed to be kind of, in essence, like represent parts of Buffy. Mm-hmm. So when that. you see like villains or even just like one-off characters mm-hmm. that come in, they all kind of show a side of Buffy, whether that's how she sees herself or how we as the audience view her or another character sees her. That's interesting. Nice. So the bronze, they're studying French. I, I do not understand. To. Okay, I'm sorry, but How? all I could focus on was Xander dancing in the back. I, I, I literally was dying. This fool is out on the dance floor by himself, busting out these moves, and you can tell they're awful, and everyone is, like, watching him, and he's just unashamed, and it was It's like his, me. his uh, episode is on the first season where he, like, dreams that of he's, him like, being, super like, cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't remember what episode that is, but I just got, like, huge flashbacks of that Teacher's one. Teacher's Pet. Yeah, it's Teacher's is Pet. Is it Teacher's Pet? Oh, I should yeah. know. We did it several times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All I could think of was Buffy sexy dancing while he would be trying to do that. that. Yeah. Oh, so Stop. I don't want to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so then Xander's like, hey, guys, should come dance with me. He's like, you've been studying for all of 12 minutes. And Bubby's like, oh, that's why I'm so yeah. exhausted. <laughs> but like if you notice when Xander comes over, even before the camera kind of like, you know, spans out or whatever, you can see Spike in the back. 
Like, he's watching yes. them even mm-hmm. before, like, it's made obvious. Like, he's just mm-hmm. in the back, like, in the shadows, but he's, like, observing and he's watching and I just, hearing. I, I saw a lot of correlations between Spike and Angel right here because mm-hmm. um, she said that she's waiting for Angel. She, like, made a comment about – she's like, oh, I don't know if he's going to show. I told him that, like, I wasn't sure if I was going go to or whatever. So she's, like, waiting to see if he's going to come. And usually, like, especially in the first season when he's kind of at a distance, like, emotionally and, like – physically at times he's usually like mm-hmm. staring in the bronze particularly from afar from buffy and this episode it's spike is doing it but for completely different reasons yeah it's very predatory mm-hmm. like it gives me really um, creepy it gives me jesse vibes when jesse got turned oh, into a vampire yeah. and he was like watching cordelia. cordelia it's like kind of like you know the predator watching their prey like observing like sizing her up he's like watching her Mm -hmm. have fun and then he watches her like attack the other vampire out in the alleyway i also think that um they mentioned this like later on in the episode where you know spike says like oh i i didn't count on you know a slayer with family and friends and so i think that spike is a little intrigued by her friends Mm -hmm. well it's just it's so interesting to watch him watch her but then it's also like whoa this villain was just introduced and he's already seeking out the Slayer and he's kind of like testing her. Yeah. Like he's not like the master hiding. Down. I mean, obviously the master was stuck, but this right off the bat, you can tell this is going to be a very different sort of villain and different sort of season. Yeah. Yeah. And something as well, just in the lighting in this scene, as he's watching her, the whole time Spike has this really strong backlight. So you can't really see mm-hmm. his face like his face is pretty shadowed which is you know Mm -hmm. just another like way that you can't like you don't really know what he's thinking you just see like this figure and something i forgot to mention earlier in the first scene with spike and drusilla uh they are lit from underneath which is something that Mm -hmm. um you'll see a lot in horror movies when they're trying to make someone creepy because uh in real life we're not used to seeing people lit from below you're used to seeing Mm -hmm. like shadows from Mm -hmm. lights above and so yeah, just like in every scene that we've seen Spike so far, he's looked really ominous. And like, obviously, his introduction was at night. So like, we haven't really gotten a good look at him. Like, we don't know who he is. And yeah. again, just kind mm-hmm. of the unpredictability mm-hmm. factor and everything. Like, yeah, everything they're doing is just making like yeah. setting him up to be really creepy. What got me was the fact that he like talks to the guy and says, hey, go, you know, go get a bite to eat. And so he like sets up this trap for Buffy. You know, because then he goes over and he says, mm-hmm. oh, there's someone out there. And because he, he wants to see her in action. So, yeah. like, he watches her in a normal setting, you know, hanging out with friends, doing homework, dancing, blah, blah, blah. But then he's like, okay, I want to see her in action. I want to see what she can do. And he, like, just mm-hmm. watches in the back. And you can even see at some point um, the vampire is kind of like, oh, Spike, help me. And Spike doesn't do anything because he's just like, no, I want to see what happens. Yeah, I want to – I mean – I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit at the end of the episode. Spike's all like, man, a slayer with family and friends. And we get the impression that this is not normal. Like a slayer is not normally surrounded by people, like a, a support system. Yeah, they're probably isolated and trained. Right. Yeah. And you see that in this episode where, you know, Buffy's fighting. It's actually big ugly that she's fighting. Oh, poor guy. And she's like, man, it would be really nice if I could have a steak. And she tells Xander, go get my steak. So he runs in and, okay, did you see the things he pulled out of the purse? No. Yeah. It's 
a yo-yo. It's the same yo-yo she was using the episode before oh, when she was yeah. on the on the. Yeah. She was sitting on the tombstone and she had that and angel oh, popped right. up. And then he and then he pulls out a tampon. Oh, <laughs> I didn't really? See that that is so funny. <laughs> and that's why he's like fumbling, like he realizes what it is and is completely like <laughs> schemed out. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, and then he finds the stake. So Spike's observing this, going, yeah. "Hmm." If she didn't have her friends, she wouldn't have a stake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She'd be weaker. Uh, she even kind of picks up the girl and kind of like tosses her and says, get her out of here. Willow and Xander take the girl away. Yeah. yeah. And so not mm-hmm. only do they help a sister in killing the vampire, they also save the girl. Yeah. And then I thought it was hilarious that Big Ugly's all like, um, Spike, give me a hand. And then he gets killed. And then Spike claps, yeah. which is he's giving him a hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah, this has Joss Whedon written all over it. Yep. <laughs> um, also, what kind of makes Spike a scary or unpredictable person or demon, I guess, is that like the guy is like his henchman or, or whatever, wh- whatever word you want to use. And he's like, Spike, help me. And Spike does absolutely nothing. He's like, I don't care. And mm-hmm. so she kills him and he's like, oh, like, nice work, love. It was very much your only purpose was to see how to see how the Slayer was yeah. doing. Um, which is it's crazy because it's like, I don't care about you. You help me out and that's pretty much all I needed from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's also just the fact that like he's so bold. Oh, you know, I'll see you Saturday when I kill you. And he's just very, yeah. like, so confident in himself, so confident in that he can kill her, that he can beat her. And, like, I think that Buffy's not used to that for a while. She'd never even talked to the master. And by the time she did, then he was like, oh, you know, you're my sheep or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that, like, having someone just come up and be like, oh, yeah, you, you know, I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And just like I think would be literally I think I'd pee my pants. I'd be terrified. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been talking over and over again how resourceful and even unpredictable Buffy herself is. And so I think Spike himself is a villain that is well matched to Buffy because yeah. they're both unpredictable. And Spike seems to be incredibly resourceful with what's around him. So we see Sheila. Walking down the alley with these dudes, and she talks about, "Oh, do you have a her Cadillac? dialogue? I can't. I go nuts for a cat. Yeah, this is cringy. So when they wrote the script initially, Spike's car was supposed to be a Cadillac, which was supposed to be why That's she followed funny. him." but it ended up not being. But yeah, obviously Sheila follows him, and I think it's really interesting because Spike lures her to follow him he doesn't just like bite her and he totally could and Mm. most of the other vampires that we've seen they'll just kind of like jump them um but spike's totally confident that sheila will follow him and i thought that was like incredibly cocky without using like fear or anything yeah he just like kind of stroked her ego so giles is looking up who spike is and you know he seems a little scary and Xander's all like, um, Night of St. Vigis. Oh, they're going to be more powerful. Can we run? And Willow's like, um, that wouldn't be right, Xander. Can we hide? <laughs> yeah. I also wanted to point out when Giles hears Spike's name, he says, oh, that's a little unorthodox. Which I feel like they chose to say that on purpose, again, to kind of like further the mm-hmm. idea of like like Spike is not normal. He's not traditional. He's not like the master. Like his name, his vibe. Everything about him is going to be non-traditional. Yeah, they're like, hey, in case you hadn't noticed, um, Spike's not normal. (laughs) Yep. Also, something interesting that I noticed when I was looking at the script is that uh, they changed the order of these scenes in post. Because the way that they shot it, originally the scene in the library was the first scene 
coming into act two and then the scene with Sheila and Spike. And then it just went straight to Spike and Drusilla, which I thought was interesting because this transition works so well where Sheila says at the end of the scene, she's like, hey, what's your name? And then Giles says Spike at the beginning of the next scene. So that was just super weird that it worked so well, but that's not how they originally planned it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a couple instances of Joss Whedon rearranging several ways in which he wants the order of the scenes to happen. That's that's really interesting. There's a lot yeah. to pick up from those scripts, I guess. Yeah. It's re- yeah, it's really interesting. So Jazz is all like, he can't be any worse than what you faced before. And then Angel's there and he says he's worse. He won't stop. And then Xander's all like always trying to, you know, be contrary to Angel. Well, that just means he's goal-oriented and driven. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which honestly, everyone's like, okay. Yeah, I like wrote down, I was like, honestly, like Angel being scared of something makes me more scared. Mm-hmm. Because like when Angel's been scared of things, they've been like legit. Mm-hmm. The master or like things like that. Like he's not scared by little things. Like usually when he's scared of something, like it's a big deal. I got huge, like, throwback vibes from season one when Angel came in because he was information guy again, and then he mm-hmm, popped out. Yeah. So then Buffy and Angel play this little game of, like, hey, why weren't you at the bronze? Or, like, at least Buffy's playing that game. And Angel's all like, um, you said that you might not be there. <laughs> He's very Essentially literal. being all like, I was there to see you, and you weren't there, so I ain't playing this game. <laughs> and then Willow goes, oh, two different centuries of dating. And you can tell her, her thought process is literally being verbalized, and she realizes halfway through the conversation the that math. she's saying it out loud. She's like, man, if you had had two dates a year, that would still be 400 and." And then she kind of trails off. <laughs> so Realizes good. what she's saying. It's like, huh, why do they call this a mace? And Jaws is back there like pretending to look busy. <laughs> yep. Um, so then at the warehouse, the vamps are chanting and doing some weird funky stuff, probably in preparation for the St. Vigis. And then we see Drusilla playing with the dolls. And I know I mentioned this in Out of Mind, Out of Sight, but um, Miss Edith, her doll is – the same doll that they used in Marcy's like secret little hideout mm-hmm. up in the ceiling. So it's kind of yeah. funny to see Miss Edith again. But there's that creepy, creepy music box music. And she's like talking to the dolls like they're her children, which is really creepy. And I think it's really interesting how Drusilla is written to be kind of like this weird mix of innocence and cruelty. Yep. And they shouldn't be yep. mixed. And that's what makes her so terrifying. Mm-hmm. So then Drusilla, we get the sense that she's sick. Spike's like, hey, you need to drink to get your – or you need to eat to get your strength up. She was almost trampled by a mob in Prague. And then you see that they have Sheila tied up in the corner of the room and Drusilla bites Sheila. Yeah, I think this scene's interesting because like – all of the rest of the vampires are, like, upstairs preparing for some, you know, holy event or whatever. Yeah. And Spike right. and Drusilla are just, like, downstairs, like, mm, want to get a bite to eat? Like, well, and she's telling yeah. them, you you should go um, play nice. Yes, play nice with them, meaning, like, go talk up to them, put your professional voice on, you know, like, befriend them mm-hmm. so that if the time comes, they'll have your back is basically what she's saying. Yeah. But he doesn't care. He's like... I don't Mm -hmm. care. Like, I can do what I want. And you see that at the end of the episodes. He's like, I I don't have to, like, abide by what you want me to do. Yeah. I'm my own man. Mm -hmm. 
So then we have this funny scene of the weapons roundup and you have like Willow with a crossbow, Xander's over there like sharpening stakes and Cordelia's there. And this is the first episode that Cordelia's there without having an actual like excuse or reason to be there other than to just hang out with everyone. Yeah. Well, she complains the whole time though. She's like, do I have to be here? Yeah. And so then you see Buffy hold up this sword and it's really funny because you think that she's going to like sharpen it or something and she's chopping veggies for the student teacher night. Which, by the way, when was the last time that blade was cleaned? Because I don't think that's sanitary. (laughs) Not only that, but like she's chopping horribly. She doesn't even like (laughs) chop all the way through. It's not even a clean chop. And she's like trying to do the chef's one where you do it fast. And she's not even like fully pressing down. So they're like halfway cut. I'm like, Sarah Michelle Gellar, girl, like you need to practice your cutting. I don't think it's Sarah Michelle Gellar. I think that's just Buffy. I think (laughs) Buffy's probably never chopped a vegetable in her life. (laughs) So the banter between Cordelia and Xander is just like becoming the highlight of every episode. Xander's all like, um, remember when Saturday nights meant dates? And Cordelia's like, you sure don't. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, my hands are cramping. How long have I been doing this? And Xander's like, three minutes. And she's like, well, you know, why do we need all the stakes anyway? If this guy's as scary as you say he is, this just means that she's going to be dead quicker. Like, yeah. it'll all be over sooner. Okay, I've always wondered, do the stakes disappear with the vampires? Is that why they have to keep recarving them? Yeah. No, they don't. They don't disappear. They definitely have. Well, I think that's just bad editing. I don't think that they are supposed to. <laughs> I could be wrong, but don't they disappear? She like leaves them in the vampire. Like if she lets go, but then if she it pulls is. it back out. Got it. That makes stay. sense. No. No? No, because there was the one in um the first episode of mm-hmm. season two uh, when she was bad. She stabs the guy and then it's in the vampire. And then as he disintegrates, you see the stake drop to the floor. Uh, I think, honestly, I think that's continuity. Yeah, because I've seen because it disappear so many times. I think it even disappears in this episode. Yeah. Well, I honestly think that's just because of the editing. I yeah, think I agree. that they probably forgot the stake was there. And so then when they were doing the transitions, right. then like they had to remove the stake. I'm just trying and- to make sense of why they need to like keep carving out new ones then. Because I'm like, well, if it doesn't disappear with the vampire, then you can just save the stakes that you have. You I know? think it's also just more convenience. So it's mm-hmm. like, what if they want to throw one? What if what if one ends up being lost or things like that? Like, I think right. it's just more of like having more available weapons. And they also might get dull as she uses them. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're just True. sharpening old ones. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's just like rubber bands for us girls or bobby pins. Like, they just get lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Buffy's outfit is... Uh, and her hair in this episode is like one I of my favorites. I love it. Her and white Willow, skirt. I I was gonna mention this mm-hmm. when they are in the gym and it preparing, but like they just look so cute. Like Willow looks mm-hmm. so like put together. She looks very like girly and grown mm-hmm. up. She's wearing an outfit. Honestly, I would see Buffy wearing. And then Buffy's outfit is just adorable and it's so cute and you can tell like she's trying to like look grown up and professional for mm-hmm. her mom and it's very cute she's like mm-hmm. a white skirt with like little heels and then like a blue top and a, and a green little sweater overwards so cute so buffy's made lemonade forgot the sugar and allison hannigan's face is hilarious when she tries the lemonade yep. and i love how willow just covers for her and takes joyce on like a tour of all the classrooms yeah. to keep <laughs> her away from friend. snyder Yep. I just like, I love when Cordelia comes up and she's like, how long do I have to be doing this? Even slaves make minimum wage. And it's like, no, Cordelia. <laughs> like, maybe don't make a joke about slavery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Joyce comes back and is like, all right, I have seen every single classroom. What's going on? And Principal Snyder and Joyce meet for the first time. 
And he's all like, meet me in my office. I have things to talk about. And the look that Joyce gives Buffy as she's walking is very, I've I've been on the receiving end of that look from my mom. (laughs) Yep. And I think, and you you can tell Buffy knows. Buffy's like, okay, how long am I going to be grounded? Like, yep. It's inevitable yeah. at this point. I also yeah. liked in this scene how uh, Cordelia has the, like, she burns Buffy by saying, hey, like, something about you don't know how to moisturize. And then her mom shows up and she's like, now there's someone who knows how to moisturize. Yeah. Yeah. But she says that when Joyce is talking to Willow and, like, facing the other direction, like, Cordelia can't see her face yeah. at all. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. And then she's all like, I think that when they're done talking, you're going to be still grounded in 10th grade or something. Yeah. And Willow's all like, Cordelia, have some lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Willow is like so passive in her aggressions. You might even say she's passive aggressive. Yes. Because uh, she has in season one that one line where she's like, oh, press deliver or whatever. Deliver. And it's yeah. delete. Yep. And yep. It's just like, oh my goodness. Like, you don't expect Willow to be savage. Yeah. I love it, though, because it's, like, her gaining her confidence, and it's her kind of, like, sticking up for herself, but, like, in a Willow way. Like, she's not going to be, shut up, Cordelia, but she's just very, like, Mm -hmm. smart about it. And she's like, Cordelia, like, I'm going to go, I'm going to humble you. Go get some lemonade. (laughs) It's just very, like, it's very Willow, but it's very, like, confident Willow, which I love. Yeah. Um, and then we we transition into the library and we find out that Spike's name was William the Bloody. That's what people call him because he tortures his victims with, what was it? A railroad, railroad spike? spikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, kind mm-hmm. of iconic name, man. Which is how he got his name, Spike. Yeah, yeah if you're going to get any nickname, it's not a bad one. He's killed two slayers in the last century and he is not as old as Angel. Barely 200. So back in the conference, Joyce is like, all right, not happy with you, Buffy. Get in the car. Ugh. Every time she's – she has such serious mom vibes. Whenever she says that, I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel sure, like Joyce. I'm being reprimanded. Yeah. Then Spike blasts in with his dudes and is all like, um, I couldn't wait. Like, we're doing this now. Yeah. No, I love it. Like, I, it makes sense. Like, I feel like if I was a villain, I would not continue to wait around when I mm. know who – my target is I know her life I know all this stuff about her and I should use the element of surprise like it's just it's so smart like why am I gonna wait what's the point Mm -hmm. yeah so Buffy grabs her mom which I love she grabs her mom and takes off and the music right here the piano that goes is very similar to Die Hard (laughs) what was that the piano (laughs) sorry But, like, the little, like, piano riff down in the bass notes is very similar to Die Hard, yeah. which I was like, ah, Die Hard. Yeah. I get really excited. And I like how Buffy threw a chair at them, which was, like, a way of slowing them down without revealing her Slayer capacity yeah, to yeah, her yeah. mom, which she I thought was kind of cool. She does that a lot throughout this episode is, like, yeah. she's creative. Yeah, she's intelligent, she's creative, but she's also cautious. Which, like, mm-hmm. could you imagine having, like, all that adrenaline, trying to save all these people, but also having to be like, I can't go too crazy because then, like, everyone's going to know. Well, and I think it's really interesting, too, that the lighting in this episode is very similar to season one lighting. It's very dark, very horror movie, scary. And and also, okay, speaking of lighting, Principal Snyder, as soon as he comes out from talking to Joyce, is all like, party's over. This yeah. is the sole reason. The sole I reason I had all you all here. Joyce. Yeah. Yep. What a little jerk. Man. And you can even see there's like either a teacher or parent is like sitting down under the light and it's like either eating yeah. or sitting or talking or something. And then he shuts off the light and you can see their body language kind of be like, oh, 
Like, they have to, like, go home. It wasn't even like a, hey, we're wrapping up. You know, it was like a, lights off, get out. No That's warning. very much his personality. Could you imagine just, like, being at school, public place, with a bunch of, like, families and parents, and then just a ton of people just break into the windows and all hell breaks loose, That's literally. Terrifying. So Buffy rounds up a bunch of teachers and parents. And, okay, so she pushes a cleaning cart, and it misses Cordelia and Willow, and Hits two vampires. I I was like, whoa, that is some serious aim. (laughs) Not only that, but like when you see it like rolling, it's going so slow. I'm like, they could have ran out of the way. Oh my goodness. And then a vamp grabs Cordelia and Willow grabs this what looks like a really heavy bust and just like, hey, and just like smacks him over the head. I love it though, but it's it makes sense. Like I think that it's part of like Obviously, Xander and Willow are not, like, trained in any way, but there is, like, a certain amount of, uh, like, adrenaline when you're in those situations. Like, okay, what's around me? Like, what can I do? And I think that, like, they're learning because they're watching Buffy to, like, learn to grab things around them to adapt. I also like that Willow is looking out for Cordelia, who hasn't been the nicest to her in the past. And, like, she could have just run and, like, let Cordelia slow the vamp down, but she decided to help. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a good point. So the power is cut. Again, very reminiscent of Die Hard and pretty much any kind of movie where it's like the hero against all of the bad guys in a building. That's true. Which I was like, why are the vamps cutting out the light? I'm so confused. (laughs) Well, I think that like Spike is a little bit of a performer. So I think that he likes Uh, to kind of like perform and be like bring up the creeping factor. But I also think that it's just a practical thing in a way that like they can – I think it's like don't they have like super, you know, smell or something like that or hearing or – Yeah, they can smell Their senses are heightened. So I think for them, they don't need their sight as much. And Mm. so I think that they're kind of giving themselves an advantage. Especially if they have the glowing eyes from the vamps in the first season. (laughs) And the glowing nails. They can spot each other. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, and also – James Marsters, Spike has black nail polish. He used to paint his own nail – or he didn't paint his own nails. The costuming department, makeup, whoever is in charge of that, would paint his nails. And he would be like, no, 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 no. This this doesn't work. Like Spike doesn't have perfect nails like that. So he'd go and he'd find like glass or metal or wood or something. And he'd literally just scrape his nails Oof. on it Ooh, until they become – There are ways of doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, he wanted it to be like authentic. Mm-hmm. And I just like, man, the dedication. And then he mm-hmm. was like, yeah. But, you know, film quality isn't that great. So like no one's really going to see. Yeah. yeah. But I think <laughs> yeah. it helped him get into character of like this is Absolutely. what Spike would yeah. do. He also I don't think he ever washed his trench coat because he wanted it to look worn and like yeah, dirty. Yeah. They ran his trench coat mm-hmm. over with like a semi, I think, to get well, cause that it was brand look. new when they first bought yeah. it and it didn't mm-hmm. look like what they needed it to look like. So mm-hmm. they had to get it to that point. Yeah. There is only one jacket, so a stunt double had to wear that exact jacket too. Oh wow. wow. That must have been pretty ripe. That's scary. Yeah. What if it ripped? Like, right. What are you exactly. going to do? And it wasn't even James Marsters. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Like, fire him. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Get a new stun double. So Giles, Xander, and Jenny are in the library, and Giles is like, hey, there's a boarded-up cellar behind the stacks. Get Angel. And Xander does not look thrilled. Number one, he doesn't want to leave because Willow and Buffy are out there. Which but I thought number it was two, sweet that he said like, I'm not leaving until Willow and Buffy are safe. Like it wasn't like, yeah. I'm not leaving until Buffy is safe. It was like, no, they're both my friends. I care deeply for both of them and mm-hmm. I need them both to be safe. Yeah. So he goes and Snyder is all like, oh, these gangs are all on PCP. And Buffy's all like, all right, mom, you need to stay here. And 
she's like, don't go out the windows. Don't try anything. And Snyder's like, well, what makes you the person that should be listened to? And she's like, because I know how to stop them. So then Buffy climbs up into the ceiling. Another diehard moment. Oh, and then, my gosh, Spike goes, Slayer. Yeah. So good. He sings a couple times, like little jarring moments. Like later on, he goes, um, somebody's in the ceiling. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it's so creepy. It's It's very very Hans Gruber. Yes. And then I love this scene with Snyder and Joyce where she's kind of standing up to him and she's backing Buffy up. She's like, no, Buffy said to stay in, which I was like, man, Joyce, way to have some trust in your daughter. Good job. Yeah. And he's all like, I see some mother-daughter resemblance. Mm -hmm. And I was like, snap. (laughs) And I was very proud of Joyce in this episode all around. Like everything she did, I was like, wow, like she trusted Buffy. Um, and we'll get mm-hmm. to it later, but like her conversation with her at the end, I was just like, wow, like that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. You can definitely see the family resemblance too, because mm-hmm. we give Buffy a lot of credit and I mean, she absolutely deserves it, but I think she gets a lot of who she is from her mom. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that. Her in mom this has a quiet confidence. She doesn't, she's mm-hmm. not a very like abrasive personality, but when Unless she, she needs, needs to yeah, be, when she needs to be, mm-hmm. she yeah. like, she can hold her own. I'd be scared of Joyce if she ever yelled at me. I'd cry. I'd be scared of Joyce, period. She could look at me <laughs> and I'd be like, oh. I'm sorry. My bad. Yep. So yeah, Spike's taunting Buffy. Says, if I find your friends, I'm going to suck them dry and use their bones. What did he say? Like, pick their bones. He said, use their bones to like beat you or beat you into the ground or something. Something very dramatic. Yeah, bash and, like, your head poetic. in, I think. Yeah. 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 yeah, to bash your head in. It's like, be by fofum. <laughs> yeah. Very much. Which he says later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like totally enjoying it. And so then they get metal from inside the wall. I forget what those are called. Um, And starts inserting it into the ceiling, which, ow. Yeah. That hit you. Yeah. And this moment with Jenny and Giles is just precious mm-hmm. simply because yeah. of Giles saying, like, he's he's frantic. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm her watcher. I'm responsible for her. I have to go. And Jenny doesn't try to stop him. She goes, yeah. be careful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also like he's literally seen her die. Like, he wasn't there, but like yeah. he's felt the pain of her yeah. dying. He's felt the feeling of losing his slayer. Like, we've seen in nightmares that that was one of his worst fears. Yeah. And so I mm-hmm. think that for him, he's like, I have to do something. I cannot just sit passively by and let her fight this alone. Like, if she's going to die, I'm going to go out with her, which is just such a Mm -hmm. sweet idea. Dad Giles. I know. Very cute. Thankfully, Buffy crashes in before he has to leave, and they have this exchange of information where he's like, Xander's getting Angel, and she's like, okay, my mom is boarded up with Principal Snyder. I don't know where Cordelia and Will – and you can – the way she talks about it is kind of like, I don't know if they're dead, but she kind of stops herself Mm -hmm. almost to be like, I can't think or worry about that right now. I love the fact that he's like, okay, like I'm coming with you, and she's like, no, like you need to get my mom out. She said, if something happens to me, I know you'll get my mom out. And he said, bloody right I will. (laughs) It's just very sweet. Like sweet. It's that idea of like, if I can't save you, then I'll definitely avenge you and I'll fight for you. Like, you know, I'll (laughs) – carry out your wishes mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's also cool because in that scene you'll notice this is just like an editing thing um you'll notice a lot of times in scenes you'll start on like a wide shot and then gradually get closer and ideally you'll have the camera get closer as like a more intimate moment happens and in this scene that happens when Buffy has the line about like basically she's trusting Giles with her mom's life if she doesn't make it so I thought that was kind of cool like that's the moment that the camera goes from like a bit of a wider shot to like getting closer and Mm. yeah it just really emphasizes that moment 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing all those little subtle things that you don't even pick up on, but you can feel mm-hmm. it. And yeah. it translates to how you watch it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I jumped ahead. But Joyce stands up to Snyder and that guy goes up to the window is like, hey, we should try and get out. And then we have this dude who's all like, I can't break down the door to Spike. And Spike's yeah. like, use your head. And then just like <laughs> bashes his head into the emergency axe. Yep. Oh, my gosh. So he's just fun to watch. It's just so enjoyable. So, yeah. And then the dude gets pulled out. And Joyce, super brave, goes up and shuts the window to prevent the vampires from getting in, which I was like, man, Good job, yep. Joyce. I don't know if I could do that. Yep. Well, this is also like, I think before that scene is like where Snyder is kind of saying like, no, like this is my school. And if I say this isn't happening, then this isn't happening. And Joyce has this funny line where she's like, well, then I guess the danger's not happening. And it's very yeah. like Buffy-esque line, like just so much sass and attitude <laughs> of like obviously putting him in his place, but also just being like you're being an idiot. Yeah. And you can kind of just see him being like, oh, and like shutting up real quick. Because it's true. It's like, my goodness, Snyder, read the room, dude. He's just got a power complex. He just is all about, you know, control. He has to be the one that gives the most brilliant plan that helps everyone out. It can't be anyone else who's like, like, even you see that later on, he was like, I told him not to go through the window. He has to be the one that takes the moral high ground. He has to look good towards, like, other people, yeah. other adults, Well, I, I think say. it all comes back to his idea and illusion of control. I think he mm-hmm. really thinks that he is in control. And so when he's yeah. saying that, that's him, like, I was always in control. And he's totally lying to himself. Yeah. So Angel is coming back with Xander, and Xander's like, so what's our plan? And Angel's like this. And he grabs Xander and throat. we're all like, whoa, what is this? Yeah, they don't explain. They just see him like say nothing and he just grabs Xander by the throat and drags yep. him and then it cuts to another scene. Yeah. And I think what's even crazier is that there's so much going on in this episode that you're kind of like, yeah, okay. And you just kind of like go with it. And you're like, yeah, sure, this will work out because it's just like there's so much else going <laughs> on. Just that you're like, I'm sure that's kind of a minor thing right now. Well, and I think one, it's a little jarring because we're like, whoa, never seen Angel quite like this. Yeah. But then we're like, oh, but it's Angel. But then they're also like, okay, but he knows Spike. So so he's acting in a way that's different. We also Something know going he, on here. he has been like every other vampire. That's all we've known so yeah. far is that he's been like other vampires at some point. Yeah. In the last and, hundred years, he hasn't. Yeah, And up until this point, we actually don't even know if he knows Spike. We know he knows of him, but we don't know like if they've ever actually met, if they've come in contact. It's just that he has information about Spike. Yeah. And Cordelia and Willow are in the broom closet and Cordelia's got the broom in her hand. Yeah. It's so typical of their personalities. Cordelia's standing there and you can tell she's terrified, but she's willing to fight. And Willow's just over there like, um, let's pray. Yeah, let's hide. Let's pray. Um, Buffy jumps down just as a vamp starts to cut through the door where her mom is at. So there's like a tiny little um, peephole. And Buffy's like, all right, mom, like stay there. And then when I say the coast is clear, come out. But like, okay, the way Joyce words it, oh my, so sweet. She says, Buffy, are you okay? Get out of here. We'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's just trying to save Buffy. Yeah. Also, okay. You guys are going to roast me for this, but what's that <laughs> horror movie in, like, the hotel with Psycho? Uh, Psycho. I've never yeah. seen it. I know. I know. I need to see it. I told you you were going to roast me. I've never seen it. You can roast me if you want to, but when the dramatic he was, hand. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. when he was um, – the dramatic hand, but also when he's using the axe to chop up the mm-hmm. door, that's all I could think about. And then also the well, silhouette. Well, that's, that's a different movie. Is it really? That's a shining. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't seen yeah. either of them. I don't watch horror when movies When he says, here's Johnny – yeah. 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 And yeah. so, like I, I told you, I was like, I don't know it, but um, <laughs> that kind of reminded me of that horror movie. And then the other one, the 
silhouette of the psycho. hand going up was very psycho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, psycho is the stabbing. Yeah, and then the shining is the breaking the door. Yeah, yeah. So Sheila, Sheila shows up. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> And you can't really see her very well because she's, you know, in the shadows. And Buffy's like, oh, there you are, Sheila. And she's like, there's some weird guys outside. And Buffy's like, all right, just stick close. We're going to go get them. And Sheila grabs the axe and walks behind her. And you're already kind of like, okay, we saw Drusilla drink from her. She should not be alive. And so we're already super suspicious of Sheila right now. Not to mention she's walking behind Buffy with an axe. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the part that kind of set me off a little bit more. I was like, "Mm, that seems a little sus. I'd be like, hey, how about you go in front of me, pal? Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. And then, oh my goodness, this next scene, so good. So they cut scenes and then Angel comes in holding onto Xander like a normal demon like a normal like vampire (laughs) and spike says angelus yeah very friendly he's like i'll be damned yeah (laughs) my bff (laughs) yeah Yeah. well even just the fact that they like hug and the way they talk like it's very much like catching up with like your old best friend or something like that for sure and he's like oh and then angel says you should have had your perimeters watched and then he says, I know, I work with idiots. Well, but <laughs> the thing that I notice is that Angel says, I taught you better. Yeah. Oh, yes. He says, yeah, I yes, taught yes. you better than this Spike. And Spike is like, oh, yeah, I know, which is very like, whoa. Like, one, you didn't even know they knew each other. Mm-hmm. But two, also the fact that, like, Spike, this crazy person who has been built up this whole, mm-hmm. you know, episode. Learn things from Learn things from Angel is kind of like a, ooh, um, I don't know if I like that. There's more to this that we don't know. Yeah. And the way that Angel's acting is very different from mm-hmm. how we've seen him before. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's yeah. just kind of, I don't know what the right word is. He's just a little snarky, maybe. He's a terrifying? little like, snappier. Yeah. yeah, terrifying. Yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, demon Scary. <laughs> yeah. He's not the calm, quiet, collected angel. Yeah, There's mm-hmm. just kind of an uh, unhingedness about him. Yeah. And I don't think we've seen him, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've seen him with his vam- vampire face on for extended periods of time before this. Like, uh, not mm-hmm. that I remember, nothing like super, I don't know. Other He's, than that episode Nothing this Angel. intense. Yeah, he did it. Yeah. He had it on when he was fighting like Darla and he wanted to sh- like kind of scare Buffy into being like, this yeah. is who I am. He showed his true yeah. face, you could but, say. Yeah, but it's, it's true. Like, you can tell he doesn't really like to show his his vampire side. Mm-hmm. Um, he prefers to kind of be seen more as human. Yes. And so that is a good catch that, like, it's interesting that this is, like, one of the first times you see him in, like, a full conversation just with his vamp face out. Yeah, and with Spike, it seems to be used very strategically. They have them in their vamp face depending upon what side they want to show more than the other. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Xander's all like, um, what is going on? Yeah. And he's like, I knew it. I knew you were bad. And Angel's all like, all right, well, let's drink to it. And Xander's all like, no. Well, he wants any excuse for Angel to be evil. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Be- before I mean, that, that seems pretty obvious though. <laughs> yes. Ah! He does not like Angel. But before they like go in for like the the biting of Xander's neck, <laughs> um, he talks about Buffy, but he says she's cute, not too bright though. And I feel like that just plays so much into the narrative of how people view Buffy. But mm-hmm. also like that's how the master kind of viewed Buffy as well. He was yeah. like, Oh, you're prettier than the last one. Like mm-hmm. you'll see this narrative that is played on to Buffy the entire show. It's like, oh, you're cute. You're really beautiful. You're really small. Like you can't beat us up, which works in her favor. Yeah. So then 
Sheila and Buffy are going down the hall, and Sheila lifts up the axe to get Buffy, and Giles sees and is like, Buffy, look yeah. out. Which I don't know how Buffy didn't see the shadow on the wall of someone like raising an axe at her. <laughs> I don't know. And I, I wonder if Giles hadn't said anything, if Buffy would have caught it, if she would have known. I mean, mm. yeah, we'll just never know. So Buffy takes out another vamp. And then she kind of like looks at Sheila with this really threatening look. And Sheila's like, I'm out. I'm gone. Mm -hmm. Smart. I would be too. And so then Spike wants to know why Angel hasn't killed Buffy. Which is a fair question. Well, especially since like given the impression that we are given right now of like the persona that Angel is putting on. It's kind of like, yeah, he seems like he would have been someone who would have taken her out. Especially if he taught Spike some things. Like you would think that he would have taken her out. So it totally makes sense that Spike is a little curious. Yeah. So then he kind of calls Angel's bluff. And it was like, all right, well, yeah, let's drink Xander's blood. And they both go down and Spike's all like, okay, you know, I can tell that you're not into this. Do you think that you could fool me, essentially? Yeah. Which shows that Spike is incredibly intuitive as well. Like he could tell the angel was lying. Either that, either like not only incredibly intuitive, but he also knows Angel really well. Yeah. Well, and the next sentence is kind of very telling because Angel says, oh, well, people change. And Spike goes... Not you, not me. And then he says, like, you were my sire, you were my Yoda. Mm -hmm. It's very telling that, like, one, not only were they very close, but two, like, Spike looked up to Angel and respected him in probably, like, a gruesome, creepy, you know, type of way. (laughs) But it's very clear that they had a long history Mm -hmm. of whatever it is they did. Well, I just think it's so interesting. He says, not us, not demons, which I think is, like, That is so good because it's true for most demons, but Mm -hmm. Angel has a soul. Yes, he is a demon. Yes, he's a vampire, but he's not like other demons. Whereas Spike doesn't Mm -hmm. see it that way. He's like, all vampires are the same. We're we're all evil. We all want the same purpose. Yeah. You know? But it also just makes sense because it's like, if you were someone like Spike who's a demon and all you see is vampires and demons around you who are evil and all they want is, you know, destruction, all that. I definitely think it would be confusing seeing someone you knew is super evil be like, oh, I've changed now. And you're like, what? Like, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So then Angel and Xander run out and Spike is like, come on, people. This isn't a spectator sport. He has so many one-liners. Yeah. <laughs> everything everything goes really still. And he goes, fee fi fo fum I smell the blood of a nice, ripe girl. Which, this is an interesting wording because... There's a lot of symbolism between vampires and sexuality and Mm. um, even Buffy as a girl. I smell the blood of a nice, ripe girl. It's just very much insulting. This scene in particular, he's terrifying. Like, he's scary the whole episode, for sure. But, like, this scene in particular, he is looking dead in the eye of, like, a slayer. And, like, any other vampire we've seen that has fought her, you can at least tell, like, they're, like, recognizing, oh, this is going to be a hard fight. Like, I'm kind of scared or whatever. But, like, the fact that Spike looks at her and talks to her as if she is, like, a normal fight is terrifying. Because you're like, what Mm -hmm. can he do? Yeah. Yeah, and kind of going off of 
that it's interesting that like most of the time in the show leading up to this, you'll see uh, when Buffy is fighting like vampires or bad guys or whatever, she's always the one who's cracking jokes and they are like stressed and like focused on the fight. And I think Spike is the first person who really like we see him joking and they kind of have a little banter back and forth before they fight. And it's that I think is what's, part of the thing that's so creepy about him is that he's confident, like he's not Mm -hmm. stressed, like he's comfortable enough to just be joking with her, which is really creepy. Yeah. Well, and I think Buffy herself is eerily calm. She's standing there and she, I mean, she says, do we really need weapons for this? Mm -hmm. Like she knows. And I love how you can see in her eyes, she's excited for this fight. Like she's finally someone that's a challenge. And it's just kind of interesting to to see Spike is almost kind of like the villain version of Buffy in a way. He's, you know, unpredictable. He just kind of takes things into his own hands. He has no problem, like you said, cracking jokes and stuff. And I think Buffy's kind of like, whoa, this is a challenge. Like, I I look forward to taking you down kind of thing. Yeah, which all that is completely accurate. And I think that it sets up the best fight scene we've had of her. I think there's a sense of my mom's here. I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Like, no, Spike. It's going to hurt a lot. So then Spike says, no, but I just like them. Makes me feel all manly. And then he basically gestures with his body and with his weapon that it's almost like a sexual innuendo, which we've talked about before, how um, vampirism and sex kind of go hand in hand. Like they're very erotic, very sensual. One's often a metaphor for the other. And I was actually reading something really interesting the other night. So I'm reading this book called Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Philosophy. And it's a bunch of different papers from philosophy students and people who analyze Buffy through like the works of Aristotle and Plato and things like that. And it's really, really fascinating because they talk specifically about vampirism and how they theorize that it's more than just a metaphor for sex, but it's actually a metaphor for rape. And I thought that was such an interesting and very accurate metaphor because you're literally drinking someone's blood without their permission. And a lot of times they have parallels between like orgasm and pain. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, the demon takes over someone's body. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. And especially like, um, Tab, you have the script, but when Spike is talking and he talks about how he, when he killed the last slayer that she begged and all this stuff and Buffy says, no, Spike, it's going to hurt a lot. He says, I'll make it quick. It won't hurt a bit. And then she says, right, wrong. It's going to hurt a lot. Right. And I think there's often a myth that the first time you have sex, it's going to like hurt. And I think like, obviously, if everybody's experience is different, but I think especially when it comes to virgins, they say that like losing your virginity hurts. And so in a way, Spike is acknowledging Buffy's innocence. This is him kind of making fun of her for it, kind of in the same way that, that the master did. And the way that Buffy responds is funny to me because it's almost like her subtle way of saying like, this isn't my first time. I've already gone up against the master, you know, yeah. and the, the master has already drank her too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just very interesting, the parallels there. And I think that Spike is trying to intimidate and get underneath Buffy's skin. But I think there's also kind of a little bit of an attraction there too, from a very predatory stance. Oh, absolutely. Mm, I agree. The chemistry between, between both of them is like electric as like a villain and then a heroine. 
it's so like interesting to watch and they're like fighting chemistry is just so cool yeah and i think it's also interesting because like we have the comparison between spike and the master and the master didn't really do a whole lot of fighting mm-hmm. we had that one scene where he literally died and so like the most of the time he just uses like weird mind power over her His thrall yeah mm-hmm. Right. And so this is the first time we're really seeing Buffy like spar with someone who is at her level. Mm -hmm. And then Joyce turns around. We have this moment where she's running away and she makes the decision to stop. And you can see on her face going, what am I doing? My daughter's over there and she needs me. And it's just a very realistic mom thing. But we talked about this earlier, how Buffy gets her bravery, her kindness, her self-sacrifice, her just a lot of things, not just from the fact that she's innately a a slayer, but I really believe from her mom. You see a lot of parallels. I think you mentioned it, Leah. There's a lot of parallels between Joyce and Buffy in this and how Joyce talks to Snyder and how even Joyce is willing to um, defend other people and risk her life. Yeah, I just think it's really sweet because it's like we always just kind of chalk a lot of Buffy's buffiness <laughs> up to her being like a feisty teenager. But I think in this episode, it's kind of showing like, no, that's more of like Buffy's character. She's strong. She is passionate. She is like all these things, but she ultimately cares about other people. And you're seeing all those qualities in Joyce as well, which I think just is really sweet for both of their characters. Yep. Yeah. And then we have a really quick scene, but I think it's very important where Angel saves Xander from the vampires. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that the other vampires seem to be afraid of Angel, which I feel like is more consistent with the Angel that the books talk about, like the Watcher's diaries and all Mm -hmm. that stuff versus the Angel that we've kind of seen so far. It's just very interesting to see this kind of pattern because like we saw that the Master and Darla and a lot of the vampires in the first season had this like fear of Angel or almost this like awe of him. And then you kind of like look at like what is portrayed in the show and you're like, this Angel? Like he's cool, but like he hasn't really done a lot. And so I think we're starting to see more and more of like who that Angel is that everyone seems to kind of be a little bit scared about. Yep. Yeah. Um, And then Buffy actually bashes Spike's head through a wall, which I was like, whoa, when I was watching, I was like, dang girl, you go. (laughs) And, like, he's been underestimating her this whole time, kind of playing with her. And, like, when she does that, he's like, wow, that actually hurt. Yeah. So Spike finally knocks Buffy down and is ready to give her the killing blow. And then he gets hit in the head by, I think it's interesting, by the same fire axe that Buffy was wielding at the very beginning, which at the beginning of the fight, which is such a cool parallel. And Joyce says, get the hell away from my daughter. And I love how Spike says, he's like, women. I, yeah. I, I love, um, in the script, it says, Joyce is in a deep mother's rage at this point. I, I don't know. It, it's so great to see that in written form and then picture like Joyce's face in the episode. And like, oh my gosh, Christine Sutherland, that's right. Her name, right? She does such a good job of just like, executing this so well i'm like i would not want to face christine sutherland she looks like she could really kick my butt i know wielding an axe right someone is pretty like ba um and then we have the interesting conversation between snyder to the police where they're talking about um well they have they're on a first name basis like they know each other's names or at least snyder Mm. knows bob's name (laughs) this conversation is so interesting to me because yes it makes perfect sense like Yes, of course, you can discount a lot of things by being like, it's true the light or like other things. 
But it absolutely makes sense that there are people in Sunnydale, specifically higher ups in government, yep. that would be trying to keep things hush hush because it's bad for business. It's bad for the town. So it totally makes sense that people like who run schools, police officers, government officials, whoever that are in charge are keeping things hush hush. And I like how we're starting to see that there's a little bit more yeah. going on in Sunnydale. But also that they know who each other are because we've seen so many casualties at the school and we think that no one really talks about it. But you see Snyder, who, like Leah said, is running the school and like you can tell that he's done this a ton. He says, hello, Bob. So he knows who this is. Like they like talk apparently a lot um and then he says it's over they all got away and then he says we got a body inside another one in the south lawn looks like he was pulled right out the window and then snyder says i told him not to go out that window trying to make him a liar which you all know was not the case and then he says i'm going to have to say something to the media and he says so usual story gang related pcp and snyder says what would you have in mind the truth and he says, right, which related that little rat. We all knew he was dirty. <laughs> there was no way Snyder was like this clueless. He just screamed yep. villain. Is he specifically targeting Buffy because he knows she's maybe like the Ooh, slayer or involved? Sure. Or is he specifically targeting her just because he literally just thinks that she's, you know, shady? Because it's like, obviously, he knows what's going on more so. So it's like, does he know about the slayer? Like, is he against or for the Slayer? Like, it's just very interesting. It poses mm-hmm. a lot of questions that might or might not be answered later on. Right. Well, and it's also like, I would be more inclined to believe that whether or not he knows she's the Slayer or not, he sees her as someone who's disruptive of the control that he has mm-hmm. over keeping everything hush-hush. Or if, you know, if he does actually know she's the Slayer, then he wants to kind of keep her on the down low. Yeah, and it's like maybe that's why he has her volunteer for so many events at school and things like that. Maybe he wants her to protect things but doesn't know how to bring it up. You never know. Or he's just trying to keep her busy. Yeah, I know. I'm really curious. It's just interesting. But of course, Snyder is a little dirty. Yeah, a little rat. (laughs) Xander and Angel, why was I bait? What's a sire? Very excellent question, Xander. We would like to know too. Well, he says, so when you're giving him my neck to chew on, how come you didn't clock him before he clocked you? And he says, I told you, I couldn't make the first move. I had to see if he was buying it or not. He's like, and you would have known he was buying it when he bit me, right? (laughs) In the script, it says, Angel moves off. Xander stares off after him with renewed loathing. Renewed loathing. (laughs) (laughs) As if it ever went away. Yep. Well, I think because he saved his life, he was like, okay, I'm starting to come around. And then after that conversation, he's like, like, never "Ah." mind. And then that sweet conversation between Joyce and Buffy, I have a daughter who can take care of herself. And I love this because we're all like, oh, finally, Joyce, you're seeing that your daughter is resourceful and brave and all this stuff that she can't show you. I'm so happy for Buffy in this scene. I also just think that it speaks to Joyce's character that she cares more about who her daughter is as a person than the mistakes that she's made. Yep. So And so she's saying like, I care that my daughter is kind and gracious and brave and cares for other people more than, you know, her ditching school and failing some classes. Yep. She says, I have a daughter who can take care of herself, who's brave and resourceful and thinks of others when there's a crisis. No matter who you hang with or what dumb teenage stuff you think you have to do, I'm going to sleep better knowing all that. So sweet. And I think Buffy went from the beginning of the episode feeling so incredibly stressed and like 
pulled in so many different directions to all of a sudden when it actually comes down to it, she has so many people behind her and supporting her and helping her. And that's actually an asset, even though a lot of times it feels like a burden. Well, I think she also felt very alone at the beginning of the episode and misunderstood Mm -hmm. And like, this is the moment where it's like, oh, her mom is there for her, even if she might not understand her fully. Yeah. I just love that no one's like, where's Cordelia? Where's Willow? They're still in the closet. (laughs) I love how they make jokes about like them praying to get out of it. And then you see Cordy praying and she's like, and if you get me out of this, I swear I'll never be mean to anyone ever again, you know, unless they really deserve it or unless it's that time of the month. And in which case, I don't see how you or anyone else can hold me responsible. Cordelia. Yeah. So then Spike, he's like all upset. (laughs) She's like, they're there. It's okay. (laughs) And he's like, I just never expected a slayer with friends and family. But it's also like from a motivational standpoint, not to get like all dark and depressing, but like if you don't have like friends and family and like an actual life, it's like, like, why do you care about fighting for the earth all the time? Yeah. Well, I mean, you see that Spike's motivation to fight is Drusilla. So even Spike himself has someone around him and a desire to fight for them. So it would make sense that that makes him more powerful. So it makes sense for Buffy to be more powerful having people she's fighting for as well. Um, And this is interesting because you fully expect Spike to go in there and be like, I messed up. I'm so sorry, anointed one. Like he kneels and everything. And then he says, I do it the exact same, only I do this. And then he grabs the annoying one throws him in the cage and says, from now on, we're going to have a lot less ritual and a little more fun, which I feel like that is the perfect way to introduce your villain for this season because the master was all about ritual. Yep. I also just feel like it perfectly sets up from what we know of Spike, even in this one episode of who Spike is. He's like, I don't care about rituals. I don't care about tradition. I don't care about anything. I want to have fun and we're going to do it however we want. And I just feel like that's very much who Spike seems to be. Which as a note, I thought was funny, like, because when they actually pan up and you see the cage and like the little smoke there, the cage is like in darkness. There's no direct sunlight on it. And I don't know why they did that. I don't know. Like, Obviously, I don't know, there might have been a camera shadow issue or something, but like it doesn't, It I don't know, it's a continuity thing. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. You're like, I have seen Angel in more sunlight than that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then they walk away like holding hands and then like the creepy cradle music plays. Yeah. I love that. Then he grabs Drusilla and is like, let's go see what's on TV. It's just, this is very much the show going, okay. We are changing gears. We are going to become a lot less campy. We're going to be a lot less what you expect. Like from here on out, you just don't know what to expect. You know, um, this is also the first time that we see a vampire. Well, I mean, we don't actually see it, but the first time on screen that a vampire dies from burning up in the sun. This episode is just so fun to me. Like, I think that this is one of those episodes that anytime I think about like Buffy and it's just like, iconicness I guess I think about this episode because there's just so many moving elements of it and it's just amazing Spike as a villain is just amazing like Buffy and the working dynamics of her trying to keep every part of her life in check and Joyce just coming out of her shell like there's just so many elements of this episode that I just absolutely adore not to mention it's just a very entertaining episode Mm -hmm. to watch 
I think my one of my favorite highlights is not necessarily what you'd think it would be, but I really liked the conversation with Spike and Angel and talking about their past and pretending to be his past self. I think that's something that kind of gets glossed over a little bit. And I always forget that this is the first episode that you kind of find out or kind of see how Angel would have been as his past self. Yeah. And everyone holds their own. I mean, Christine Sutherland and Armin, I forget his last name, <laughs> but the principal and Joyce, both of them just, they hold their own in this episode right. along with James Marsters and Juliet Lando. Like everybody's just on and it's really, really, really fun to watch. So that concludes our spoiler-free section of School Hard. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. And thank you, Rebecca, for being a part. And I, yeah. I really enjoyed your insights. It was really interesting <laughs> hearing it from a perspective of someone behind the camera. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been so much fun. And for those of you, again, who are new, um, we will be starting our Scooby Secrets section in a moment. But you guys can find us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com or look for us on Instagram, becomingbuffypodcast. Let us know, what do you guys think of Spike as the new villain? And if you are a returning fan or you want to know spoilers, then continue on for our Scooby Secrets section. Hey everyone, welcome to Scooby Secrets. Uh, just a warning, as always, this is the part of the podcast that is all spoilers for everything Buffy, and not just Buffy, but also the show Angel. So if you do not want to know about anything, then we suggest that you exit here and come back next week. You've been warned. Yes, you've been warned. But if you want to know all things spoilers, then you are in the right place. Starting out with a bang. Yeah. Well, we should probably just jump right into it because I have so much to say. Yeah. And we also have Rebecca still here with us. So thanks, yeah, Rebecca. She <laughs> was telling us she hasn't seen all of Angel yet. So I'm sorry if some of this will be a spoiler to you. Yeah. But that's okay. It was an intentional decision. Yeah. So it's all good. <laughs> like, you're like, what? What is this? Okay. The sign. He yeah, runs over the sign. I wrote that too. Every single time Spike has a re-entrance into the show, he breaks a sign. And not just that. So he breaks the sign when he comes in this episode. He breaks the sign when he comes back in in season three and he's drunk and has broken up with Drusilla. But he breaks the sign in the season finale when the sign falls into the hole at the yeah. very end. Like, yeah. So. Which is also... Um, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but in like the middle of the episode, when they're in Drusilla's room, he says, God, this town will burn. Mm -hmm. And in the end of the show, the entire town ends up burning with him yeah. in it. Also, just as a preface, we have a ton to talk about this episode with spoiler <laughs> stuff. So just, just be prepared. One of the things that I noticed was his makeup is so much more yeah. intense in this. Yeah. Kind of like, contour. Even like he's, he's more <laughs> pale. Um, I think it's because like, as the seasons progress, they try to make him look more human because they try to humanize him. Um, and so they wanted him to look more like a demon, but like specifically like his scar is more uh, intense. Yeah. So they like put like yeah. some red makeup and stuff on it to make it look like fresher. He just looks more white. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was something I noticed like when he came out, I was like, whoa. He has a lot of makeup on. Well, and fun fact, the scar on his eyebrow is actually James Marster's own scar. Yeah, yeah. The makeup team just enhanced it, which I thought was really interesting. I was like, that makes sense why like it's there for all seven seasons. Like, yeah, but it's definitely more enhanced in this one. Yeah. Like it's more yeah. uh, dramatic. 
every single time I rewatch Buffy, and I by saying this, I know we say this a ton, but like I genuinely forget some things when I rewatch it. And the one thing that I, I always, and when I mean by always, like every time I rewatch it, I always forget that Drusilla is not her full mental self in the first few episodes, like before she gets her full like. You mean she's not at full strength because yeah. I don't think she's ever her full mental well, self. Yeah, that's what I mean. Her, her full strength. <laughs> um, I have a couple. Uh, Interesting facts from IMDb about James Marsters. So when he was talking about um, his role for Spike, Joss Whedon told him, he said, if you think you are taking over the show, you got another thing coming. He said, you are here only because I don't want to kill a villain off every week. I want my villains to be more interesting and multifaceted and then die. James Marsters has said from the beginning, he played Spike as if he had a soul. And at one point, Joss Whedon was like, dude, I don't care what you're doing. Stop it. You are not going to live longer just because you're playing a soul. You're ruining my narrative, my narrative that demons and vampires are evil and bad. Like, stop it. And he said, James was like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever you say. And then Joss walked away and he was like, heck no. Like, I'm going to yep. keep doing what I'm doing because he's like, Spike is more nuanced. And you see that with the way he treats Drusilla. Yep. Um, And I love that there's like little moments there of like, Spike is a pretty consistent character Mm -hmm. all the way through in that he loves the woman that he loves. Like he is Mm – he's deep down I think a lover, not a fighter. Like I think he puts on this face and this facade of being cooler than what he actually is. Um, And that's why you see his face change when he sees Drusilla because that's who he really is. Yeah. And I think that there's – oh my gosh. We we talked about – um, when we were not on the podcast and taking a break, how this episode was extremely hard not to give spoilers mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Specifically because, like, there's just – there's a lot. But also just, like, talking about Spike as a character, it's so hard to explain to people why Spike is such an amazing character when you haven't seen the show before. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously his entrance is amazing, but it's, like, when you know more about him, then you know, like, oh, he used to be a poet. And so it makes sense that he's, like – Writing in these weird rhymes and stuff mm-hmm. when he's talking to Buffy because he used to be a poet. It's also just so interesting watching him watch her in the beginning because you can tell yeah. immediately he is drawn to her. He's taken by her. Yeah. And um, James Marsters said that he played Spike at the beginning as if he had an attraction to Buffy. Oh, you can which see Which is it. so interesting. He was only supposed to be around for three to five episodes. Like, what in the world? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, this is kind of jumping the gun, but um, later on when he is, like, holding on to, like, the one of the parents and he's like, mm, you're too old to feed, and then he just snaps his neck, I feel like that is, like, the perfect explanation of what type of villain Spike is compared to, like, Angelus. So, like, Angelus mm-hmm. is someone who's like, no, nah, I'm going to, like, toy with you. I'm going to, like, feed you or torture you. Whereas, like, Spike's like, I have no need for you. I don't really care. I'm just going to snap your neck. I doesn't matter to yeah. me either way. Because Tabby and I have talked about the fact that we we thought it was really interesting that Angel, as far as I can remember, never killed a Slayer. But that Spike, who yeah. was not as powerful as angel at least not even as intelligent yes Mm -hmm. and so i was like why and then we both realized that like spike went out of his way to go and hunt down slayers and kill them and because that's where he got his like joy from and his like Mm -hmm. thrill whereas like angelus loved the psychological thing yes about being torture yeah torture and all that and so he didn't really care who his prey was he just wanted to like mess with them and all stuff he didn't care about slayers Mm -hmm. and he didn't care about the title of it whereas like Spike has this very, like, 
competitive side of him where he's like, I want to be the best, so I'm going to go kill the best. And his overcompensation too. He's trying to overcompensate. In the first season, the master said that Angelus was the most vicious killer he had ever known, yet we know that Spike has bagged two slayers. Yeah. Like, I always think about that. I'm like, like, yeah, like, Angelus hasn't killed two slayers, yet he is the most vicious killer he's yeah. ever known. That's just so interesting to me. Yeah, and the mm-hmm. only time he cares about killing slayers is Buffy, and it's only because Buffy reminds him of Angel. And so he doesn't want to be reminded of that human, like, soul part of him. And mm-hmm. so he hates Buffy for that. I liked um, what Spike had to say when he was talking about how he killed both the Slayers and he said one from the Boxer Rebellion. Because later on in Fool for Love, we see him kill yep. the Slayer from the Boxer Rebellion and then also Robin's mom, okay. he would. I, okay, I wrote down that he said that the last Slayer he killed, which would have been Robin's mom, would beg for her yes. life. But I don't remember that happening. Do you remember okay, that Okay, so yes. I actually, that was like one of my big things I was going to yeah. talk about. Okay, so in Fool for Love, we do not see Nikki Wood begging for her life. Mm-hmm. However, that can be explained away because one, the stylized way that it was shot, it was very much like back and forth. It was more narrative instead of this yes. is like actually what happened. Yeah. Also, it's coming from Spike's vantage point and he tends to embellish a little bit. And he was trying to get across the point to Buffy that every Slayer has a death wish. However, Angel season five, sorry, spoilers for you, Rebecca, that episode <laughs> with Dana, the crazy Slayer, she's sitting inside the basement and has Spike tied up. And you know how all Slayers have the memories of the Slayers that came before yeah. them? Yeah. She sits there and she goes, please, please don't kill me. I have to get back to my boy, Robin. <gasps> oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Right. Isn't that Thank interesting? You, so it actually did happen. And she she's channeling the memories of that Slayer when she sees Spike. Gotcha. And so yeah. it shows that Nikki did beg and said, please, I have to get back well, to my son, Robin, which is so interesting. You, you made a good point, Sarah, because in Fool for Love, it wasn't really dialogue heavy. It was more like action heavy. And I feel mm-hmm. like when they're fighting, they weren't talking. It was like um, a flashback. And it was just them in the, the yeah. train station. And they're just fighting mm-hmm. each other. Whereas yeah. I feel like – and I feel like at that point, they really, really didn't want to like – show how um messed up it was when like, they didn't really want to see her and watch like nikki like beg for her life yeah. but i think it for nikki it wasn't really like her own life i think it was, it was like i son. have i have a son yeah you see her in the street mm-hmm. when it's pouring rain and she's like she's like all right baby like go go home or whatever mm-hmm. like she like doesn't want him to see it and it's not for herself it's because of yeah. the innocence of her child i wanted to talk about um i don't know i'm pretty sure this is true where James Marsters wasn't supposed to be super lovey with Drew. Yes. Like they it was supposed like they were a couple. They were they were written as a couple, but it was supposed to be like a lot of the time, specifically later on in the season, he was supposed to kind of get really annoyed at Drew. But the way that James Marsters chose to portray it was more of like caring and loving to Drusilla. Yeah. It's specifically the episode where they have the judge there and mm-hmm. Drusilla is laying on the table and she says, oh, look, I can see the stars. And the line is, that's the ceiling. And he's supposed to say it kind of annoyed, snarky. Mm-hmm. And James Marsters said the lines very lovingly and tenderly, um, which, again, he was trying to play it as I'm in love with Drusilla, yeah. not as well, I'm annoyed with her. I also think of like every time he does get annoyed with her, it's a very much of a tug and pull between like his human self and his demon self because like she says something and he immediately gets angry in one episode and then he retracts and says, I'm sorry, love, and then yeah. like goes and talks to her. 
A really funny fact I found out about James Marsters on IMDb. So the Royal Shakespeare Company of Stratford, England held a 2004 poll asking movie viewers to vote for the actor and actress they would most like to see in the roles of Romeo and Juliet. Hmm. The winners were James Marsters and Kira Knightley. More than 2,000 people voted for more than 150 different actors for both roles. Marsters, a Shakespearean actor, triumphed over Orlando Bloom, no way. Ewan McGregor, Jude Law, and Johnny Depp. Speaking wow. from his California home, Marsters said, I'm flattered and excited that people would think of me for the role of Romeo. I think the themes of violence and social disintegration are as important today as they were in Shakespeare's day. <laughs> That's so That's random. Yeah. I can see it, though. He's oh, very yeah. poetic and very like um, dramatic, yeah. individual. Yeah, I could see it 100%. Kira Knightley is the one that no. I think shocked me. Yeah. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> Not for me. Um, the line that Drusilla says, do you like daisies? I plant them, but they always die. Everything I put into the ground dies is so consistent. Yep. Drusilla loves flowers and she likes planting things. And what does she do with Darla I when was Darla to, yep, gets I was bit. about to say that. Yep. She plants stuff around her for her like um, rebirth or yep. whatever that was, whatever they call it. Or death, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to talk about the fact that um, we've mentioned before that the season's theme is like becoming, becoming Buffy, becoming herself, becoming more of a slayer. But uh, there's specifically a point where um, when Joyce leaves and she's like, oh, wait till you get a job. And Buffy says, well, like, you know, I have a job. Kendra says, like, you still view this as a job. Like, being a slayer is not a job. It's who you are. And I think that this is the season that Buffy really realizes that. Even in Becoming Part 2, when um, Angel is like, you know, you have no friends. You have nothing. Take that all away. What do you have? And she says, me. And I think it's her accepting, like, I am the slayer. That's who I am. It's not my job. And I think that it's mm -hmm. interesting to see that she has not reached that point yet. Like, she still views it as a job. I think, yeah, I would argue that this whole season, she, I think she's accepted the fact that she is a slayer and that that is what she has to do. But I agree with Leah that she has, it hasn't clicked in her mind that that's who she is. Yeah. The first season, mm -hmm. she's like, she's trying to dismiss the fact that she even is a slayer. She doesn't want it. Season two, mm -hmm. she's becoming the slayer. Yeah. And then season mm -hmm. three, the, um, we'll talk about the theme we get to it because yeah. I don't want to like, you know, but mm -hmm. it's her like being like, you know what? Like, this is who I am. I am the Slayer. Mm -hmm. And the, the baggage that comes with that. Yeah. And also like we talked a lot in the episode about how Spike was so taken aback by the fact that Buffy has friends and family with, mm -hmm. you know, on her side. And I think it's really cool that we see him later. Is it season three or season four that he uses that against her when he he like sort of breaks up the scoop? I think the it's season gang. four. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, and is like point. weakening her. So like stuff that he yeah. learned in this episode, he's still using against her like yeah. so much later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that before, but yeah. And we we talk all the time about how Spike is an incredibly intuitive character. Mm -hmm. yes. He sees things yeah. that not a lot of um, other characters see. Yeah. And so because of that, he uses it to his advantage both horribly and yeah he sees it and he knows how to weaponize it this is the first episode where we talk about how important it is for a slayer to have a community yeah and then we see at the end or middle of the season is when we meet kendra and we see how that affects slayers and yeah. see what happens when someone doesn't have that and it's incredibly cool that we see from the beginning of this episode and even in prophecy girl where she wouldn't have lived if it weren't for xander mm -hmm. yeah. um 
you see building through this entire season of like how important it is that she has these people around her. And literally that's what Angel, like kind of what you're saying, Leah was saying, no weapons, no friends, no hope, you know, take all that away. Cause like they're building her up like, oh, she's unique because she has all these friends and family. And then literally at the end, it's just her. And I think that's so powerful, you know, even like faith. She was doing well in the beginning when she was friends with Buffy, when like she was actually trying to be not necessarily part of the group, but she was actually hanging out with people. And then when she started mm-hmm. distancing herself and she was like basically a double agent, then she started losing herself and going more crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. and even you have the first episode with Faith when uh, she's sort of like pulling Buffy more to the dark yeah, side or whatever. Yeah. And and you kind of see like a glimpse of what Buffy might have been like if she didn't have the support system that she does have. And yeah. it's not yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I wanted to point out kind of a interesting, I could be reading into it, but you have that moment where Buffy's talking to her mom in between the door. And it's very very um, reminiscent of her talking to her mom in the wall and restless um, where she's like, mom, like, shouldn't you come out? It's kind of dirty in there. And her mom's like, no, I think I'll be okay in here. And I think that this moment is very symbolic of her mom's literally getting a peek into who Buffy is, but can't see the whole picture. And so she's like, Buffy, no, you go on. I'll be okay. And Buffy's like, no, like she's torn with, I want my mom to see who I am, but then I also am trying to protect her by not showing her. And it's kind of a a little bit of foreshadowing to the end of the season when Joyce finds out. But it's also, I think the rest of the season is Buffy wrestling with how much to include her mom with her slayer life. Yeah. And mm-hmm. her wanting so desperately to protect her mom, ultimately to the point where she's not able to protect her mom. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting kind of callback. Yeah. Major mm-hmm. Angelus foreshadowing mm-hmm. here. Seriously. This is the first time we really see any side of Angelus, even if he is faking it. But like, y- you really don't know anything about Angel's dark side much. You just know that he fed on a gypsy girl and, you know, got some curse. That's all you really know. I think, okay, I think they had to do this in this episode because if Angelus is going to be midway through this season, they kind of have to show a little bit of like a taste of it. Yeah. But also I had like major like... um foreshadowing towards like the episode where he like fakes being Angelus yeah. with Faith. And then hits Xander. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, because uh, Faith says, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the world's yeah. best actor. And he's like second best. Yeah. And and then, yeah, he, he hits Xander, which I just think is funny because both episodes yeah. when he fakes Xander ends up getting hurt. Not only does Xander immediately believe it and he's like, I'm right. But he like uses him as like bait or just like knocks him out just to use mm. him as like leverage being like, oh, I am Angelus. You got to believe me. I think it's because he knows that Xander will actually believe yes. that it's Angelus. And so he's like, he'll be good word of mouth. Yeah, he's like, he falls for it every time. Yeah. I also want to bring up the definition of siring in the show can be a little confusing. Yes. Because they mention siring as like, you know, whoever turned you into vampire. Uh, an angel, they t- reference Darla being Angel's sire. In this episode, um, Spike says that Angel was his sire, even though Drusilla is the one who turned him. A lot of people get hung up on that, and that's actually not an inconsistency. Joss has gone on record even a few months after this episode aired to say he meant it always to be Darla was the one that sired Angel, and Drusilla was the one that sired Spike. Yeah. 
The thing is, is that Spike doesn't just say you were my sire. He says you were my Yoda. He's basically saying Drusilla was not fit enough to be able to teach Spike about how to hunt, how to kill, all this stuff. Angel was that person. Well, and I also think, ironically, something that helps us in Vampire Diaries. I was about to say that. When they mention siring, there is a sire line. Line. Yeah. And so I think that- Grandfather or father. Yeah. They never really, I don't know if they, they mention a little bit in Angel, where they talk about like, Mm -hmm. oh, grandmother, grandfather, you know, because they're in the sire line. They never really mention it on Buffy, but um, technically- Angel could be considered Spike's sire because he's in his sire mm-hmm. line. Yeah. Yep. Because he's he sired Drew and Drew sired Spike. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think it's funny because, like, you have the master sires Darla. Darla sires Angel. Angel sires Drusilla. Drusilla, Spike. And then you had Darla come back to life. And then Drusilla sires Darla. Oh, yeah. And then it's like this whole long – it just like messes up the line. It's just so confusing. <laughs> Very confusing. Yep. I also want to give a shout-out to a beautiful friendship that is founded in this episode between Joyce and Spike. Oh, the first my moment. gosh. Yes. I forgot mm-hmm. about that. Well, because in the next mm-hmm. season, he comes over to the house and she's like, do I know you from somewhere? And he's like, oh, uh, get the hell away from my daughter. And she's like, It's the end of the oh. season. Yeah. It's the end of the season. Yeah. Yep. And then um, in season three, he like comes over and he's like when he's broken up with Drusilla and he's crying and then she gives <laughs> yeah. him like hot chocolate. So no. I know. And then yeah. um, Angel's like, Joyce, let me in. Joyce, let me in. And like, um, he's Spike back there like pretending. There, like making fun of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and just that he brings flowers after she dies and says, the lady always had a hot cuppa for me. She always saw me as a man. And I just think that's so precious. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a subtle thing, and it probably was not intentional at all, but I think it's hilarious that Willow's stuck in a closet with Cordelia. I thought about that. Oh, yeah. That is funny. (laughs) A little bit of foreshadowing there. (laughs) I think it's also a little bit of foreshadowing because it's like Cordelia ends up having like 90% of her hookups with Xander in a closet. That's, that's true. true in probably that same closet <laughs> yep <laughs> oh that's funny well i think that's everything um wow we actually like went through that a lot faster than i thought we would yeah i mean it, yeah. it helps that all of us were just kind of like going off of each other well, also i was like i can't wait to just talk about all of this <laughs> all, oh all the stuff that i had written down which i thought that like you guys wouldn't pick up on some of them. Every single one of you said yeah. it if I didn't say it. So I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm just honestly so thankful that Spike is finally introduced. Yes. Because I feel I like so many times in the spoiler section when we would talk about complex characters mm-hmm. or gray areas, we would always mention Spike. And I think that I'm just happy that he's in the show. The other person I really just cannot wait until they're in the show is faith because mm-hmm. both of them i bring up probably every single time we talk about spoilers because they're both very relevant yeah we haven't even met oz yet we haven't uh, met on we yet. the season oz. yeah we haven't read riley <laughs> yeah, my favorite oz, character right? yeah. he's my favorite kennedy kennedy yeah. oh yes the queen okay um, okay <laughs> You're off the podcast. Rebecca, you're on full time now. <laughs> oh, no. it, uh, if we were to rank the characters, quickly. it would be Kennedy, Kennedy number one, Riley, Riley um, Warren, Connor, Warren. Uh, Wa- Warren. Whoa, whoa, yes. whoa, whoa, whoa. Let, we'll get there when we get there, guys. <laughs> Let's My not favorite give it all characters, away in the top five. 
No, but thank you so much, Rebecca. This is yeah. so fun. It's yeah. so informative. I learned a lot and I mm-hmm. know a lot of things about Buffy. Yeah, so. I learned yeah. a lot from you guys too. I appreciate you letting me be here. This has been fun. Yeah. yeah. And we'll have to have you on again if there's another episode that you're like, hey, I want to be on. Yeah. Let us know. I will probably talk about any episode other than Beer Bad. So yeah, <laughs> just any. Us too. Beer <laughs> and that. Uh-huh. Where the wild things are? Don't you want to come on that one? Yeah. Oh my gosh, uh, maybe I still skip that one too. don't even know what we're going to do for that one. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of symbolism. I think we should just make fun of it. We should have like a game or like a tally every time they like have sex. <laughs> oh my gosh. And this Which time. <laughs> oh, Buffy's real fast. Before we leave, I just want to say the overalls of pain are in this episode. Buffy is wearing them while she's um, painting. They're the overalls that pop ah, up in yes. Ted when she thinks that she killed Ted. And they're yeah, also the you, overalls Sarah. that pop up when she leaves in um, Becoming Part yes. 2. So whenever she's like not feeling good, she's feeling down, and sad, Anne. lonely, Doesn't she, wear them she wears Anne? them. She does, yeah. yeah. Oh, I also yeah. wanted to yeah. ask uh, specifically, Rebecca, what do you think Don would be doing in this oh, episode? Yes. <laughs> yes. Interesting. It's an interesting question. Um I don't know. Would she even be there? Like, would she even be at school? Like, I don't know. She'd have to be. Who would be watching her when Joyce came? I don't think she'd be at teacher parent night, but like maybe when Pat would be watching and mom are Buffy and mom, my mom. (laughs) No, (laughs) Buffy and Joyce are at the house. Like maybe she'd be like barging in on them and just being like, mom, you never give me attention. Yeah, maybe yeah. also if she was younger, I could definitely see her having a crush on Spike, like if they were introduced yeah. to each other. That would be a really weird dynamic. Yeah. I think she'd be incredibly angry that Angel used Xander as bait. She's and I also Xander. think – Instead yeah, of her? I, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Well, I also think she would be at home being babysat by Pat. You guys remember Pat? Oh, oh no. Dead man's party. Yeah. (laughs) And hating every moment of it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't blame her for that one. So if you guys have any idea, listeners, of what Dawn would be doing, let us know. Email us and DM us. Do not write on our post because, as always, spoilers. And, yeah, I think that's it for the spoiler section of School Hard. This was so much fun to record. Again, Rebecca, thank you. Yeah. And we will see you guys again next time. Bye.